This episode of Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch is brought to you by our patrons, patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. If you are a patron, thank you. If not, come check us out. We got cool stuff on offer. Uh, cool shows, hot eats, and cool treats, uh, but mostly podcast. Thanks. This is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a Games Club podcast. And this week is another Watch Out for Fireballs dispatch episode where we do three things. We answer your questions. We have a little discussion, but a prompt that one of you suggests. And then we read your responses to this month's games. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, uh, everyone came out in force uh, for this. If you're listening to this on the public feed, the way you submit questions and topics for discussion uh, is by being a patron. So if you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv, you'll get a uh, a post every month where you can put these in the replies. And uh, people came out in force. So we're going to get started. Yeah. And uh, we, have a, we have a couple of them from the early, uh, you know, from the first episode we want to clear out. Um, we don't always get to these the month they're asked because we don't want these episodes to be like four hours long. Right. So, uh, yeah, we are going to get into them. And some of these, um, so this first one here, I'll, I'll go ahead and read from Greg. Um, Greg says, I realize this is a complicated question, so feel free to narrow down the scope. Since you guys do a number of podcasts about video games and have played them from a large era, I was curious to hear your thoughts on what you think the game market will be like in 10 years. What kind of console or device will we be using if you think any game, uh, any genres will die out and how the indie market will do? Yeah, ten, and, 10 years yeah. is a very long time. Yeah, to, to be totally fair, one of the reasons why we didn't an- answer this one is because I think that the answer from both of us is I have no fucking clue. <laughs> yep. Uh, if you asked me in 2009, uh, would people be playing Battle Royale games and VR games? I would have said, what are you talking about? Yep. Like yeah. VR, you know, has been on the horizon for a long time. But it had been a joke um, 10 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. It's been a joke and it still like has not grabbed the market share that it needs, but I have no idea if they will solve the fundamental problems with mm-hmm. that. I think that there, there will be some more like consolidation exclusivity will be more about, you know, similar to like the Epic steam thing where it's more about deals mm-hmm. than anything else, but it won't really matter because everyone will just kind of have both of them. Right. You know, like, like uh, these, these things being exclusive to the Epic store, it's like, well, I'll just download both the free software. It's all, yeah. it's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's fine. It's not hurting me. It's, it's just like a little bit annoying. So right. there'll be a lot more of that. Um, but other than that, like, there's going to be tons of things we won't be able to predict. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, we kind of predicted, like, the, the rise of the Switch, right? Like, why did the Switch take off? I don't know. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, it's cool to be able to do have a high-powered portable system. It's cool to be able to uh, to pop things on. It's cool that they embraced indie. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are a number of, like, just kind of stock standard predictions we could make. Something like, oh, I don't know, like a console-less future where, you know, you have something like what Microsoft is purportedly planning on doing. Just like, oh, yeah, stream all these games to whatever system you want. But, like, yeah. people have been talking about that for years, too. People have been talking yep. about getting rid of physical media. It's just really hard, you know? It's very hard, and and the the kind of work that we do is not market related. 
Um, and so it is difficult to kind of make these predictions. And I, I think that any of these predictions are big grain of salt. Yes. Kind of thing. So everything that is true now, but more so, <laughs> plus a lot of unpredictable things. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Another one, uh, from a while back, Paul asks, after listening to the Bioshock Infinite episode, I was reminded of Miracle of Sound songs, uh, for the game. And I wondered if it, uh, if it had anything to do with why I look back on that game as fondly as I do. Are there any games that you perceived differently or remember more fondly because of other media tied to it? E.g. music you listen to while playing it, a movie that was playing in the background, etc. Yeah. Um, it's it's I don't know like there's music that I associate with games. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there are things that I'm specifically more nostalgic for or that I think differently about the game because of a musical association personally. Um, for me, I remember playing Fallout Three while I was listening to podcasts about the 2008 2007 financial collapse. Mm. Yeah, um, oh. and so that was like a fun little bit of synergy. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, <laughs> a grim portent of how we could end up fallouty. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um let's see. Do we want to get those other older older questions, Gary? Yeah, let's uh, let's let's clear out the backlog before we get to the new ones and then we can start a new backlog. Yeah. With the with the new episode. Here's the here's the um, secret. There will always be a backlog. <laughs> yeah, we'll always be angry. Yeah. Um I watched Avengers One again on the plane back. Oh yeah? That movie's still very good. Cool. I think it might be the strongest MCU movie. Hmm. Like, it's just really good. Yeah. Like, it's just very like, wow, what a good action movie. I remember it's, enjoying it's very it. see the strings, but it's good. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Espinosa asks, any older games that you've played but haven't been able to track down due to not remembering the name because you were too young? I was an avid renter of 8-bit and 16-bit games from a small mom-and-pop rental shop near my grandmother's house. I have two games I vaguely remember uh, that even with YouTube LPs, I cannot seem to track down. I'm sure that they are terrible, and I only have nostalgia, the nostalgia factor blinding my memories, but they may be good after suffering suggestions. Hmm. Uh, for a while, I had a game in my mind where you were, like, going around a forest of mushrooms and gathering uh, colored keys, and it wasn't until we covered Little Nemo for the NES that mm-hmm. I remember that, that I realized, oh, that's what I rented and, like, I'd been chasing forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, this is a unique, there's a thread on the Something Awful board that's, like, help. Let's remember the name of a game. Yeah. That's it, basically about this because this is a very common uh, thing back in the kind of pre-digital. Yeah. It was a thing phase. that um, that uh, the Joystick podcast, they had a section that was like Ask JC. They had JC Fletcher on. And it's like, okay, vaguely describe what game you're thinking of. And mm. he, he would always nail it. So, the, uh, Mine has always been um, on my old – I used to get hand-me-down PC computers from my mm-hmm. friend Derek. Um, and I got like a 386 computer at some point. And had a uh, a turn-based tactics game that was not XCOM uh, that had destructible environments. Like, hmm. you could break through a wall to to fire on your phones. But that's all I really remember about it. Yeah. Was throwing grenades at a wall uh, to blow a hole in the wall. Uh, and it being a turn-based uh, kind of strategy game. And I you, don't think it was XCOM. And you never, you never uh, figured that out? Nope. Like, oh. there's just not, I just don't remember enough about it. I have kind of, like, a vague, like, color scheme in my head, but it's that scion uh you know uh ega or cga yeah graphics yeah. card you know so it's not even representative mm-hmm. that. there's just not enough there it's been too long yeah so that's that's the big one and i don't know if it was i remember enjoying it but i don't know if it's actually good uh <laughs> you know i have no idea so nope. and I also it could have been i might have at that you know memory is false like all memories are false yep 
So it, it's possible even that destructible environment was like when I was young, I was like, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> right. And then in my head, it fused into the image. Mm, Oprah. So I might have Oprah it. So yep. the, uh, it could just literally have been XCOM. The mm-hmm. reason why I don't think it is XCOM is because I've looked at pictures of it. It's pretty early, I think. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Yeah. So. Um, let's see here. Taylor asks, we've seen game developers tinkering with how games are made, marketed and released in recent years. Is there another form of art or media production that you think video games could adapt some ways of production from, or do you think video games are too different logistically, uh, and have to find their own way more or less? Um, basically the second one. Yeah. So I, I don't think, I don't think that, uh, games would gain anything from, um, Aping any other medium mm-hmm. and how they how they make things and the ways in which they would they probably already have yes like so i like, do i do like yeah. the idea of like a bigger studio kind of adopting like an lp and ep model but like you know they could just put out an indie game that's kind of related to something that they've done you know and that happens yes you know that that totally happens with like um oh like the bionic commando you know 2d remake yeah, yeah. and then uh the the actual remake or mm-hmm. something like um the other bionic commando like was that came out on uh something <laughs> oh, you're, zero. Th- you're thinking of dark void zero zero yeah, dark yeah. void zero uh-huh. you know, so that that you know that literally happens like um i think that like a cool thing uh and even this this happens as well like i was thinking about um kind of taking how music will do like special editions mm-hmm. and such like that to get people to buy physical media and there's limited run games yeah there's like fan gamer bundles and stuff like that steel, steel, steel uh, box editions yeah yeah steel box like they they kind of already do it yeah you know um <laughs> Yeah, in kind of in meaningful ways and kind of more successfully. Like it's, I, I, I mean, it's just me. I, I can't necessarily speak for other people, but you know, other than a couple of like very high profile Criterion style releases, like I can imagine myself buying a collector's edition of a game more than uh, a movie. Hundred percent. You know, because a, a movie, I'm just very, generally really happy to to just stream or have on. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my my services I have. Yeah. You know, like movies, like a lot of times they'll come with like a booklet or something. Or they'll mm-hmm. have extra features on the the disc, but those things always end up on YouTube. <laughs> right. Um. You know, like I, you don't see a lot of like this version of the Seven Samurai comes with a with a sword. <laughs> you know, that's what I want. Yep. Like named blades. Mm, well, of course. Just everything comes with a named blade. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, William says, uh, I've been playing a lot of roguelikes uh, and rogue lights like lately. And wishing they were just four-hour-long linear games. What are your thoughts on the roguelike genre? Do you enjoy getting uh, getting good enough to slowly overcome the challenge? Is there a game you would like to see turned into a roguelike? Um, we talked about this when we did Dead Cells. Yeah. Dead Cells is my perennial example of something I want to be just a regular game. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times, you know, my big roguelikes are Isaac and Gungeon, and both of those I like mm-hmm. that they are roguelikes. Um, I did enjoy the challenge of kind of understanding them and eventually getting like a degree of, of mastery of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I want is to have both, you know, ship one of those, you know, ship dead cells with a single player campaign, but you know, the main bulk of things, you know, the single player campaign could be the tutorial, the bulk of the game. What's that? Pray and moon crash. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Have a, have both. Yeah. Like I, I think that it would be definitely great to have both. Mm-hmm. with that um as far as like a game or genre or or the like that i would like to see turned into um a roguelike go the other way um you know that's tough i don't know mm-hmm. um a lot of those things haven't worked for me like i did not like uh 20xx 
I think that game's really bad. I don't know and what I, that I, is. Previous to that, I, it, um, it's like Mega Man X as a, as a roguelike. Oh, huh. Um, and it's just like, boy, the randomly designing those stages makes them dumb. Yep. And, and having, you know, it just made me realize like how much of the personality of those stages was in the theming of the bosses Uh-huh. and getting rid of that. Like, it's just bland as hell. Yep. You know, and previous to me playing that, I might've said like, oh, it'd be, yeah, I, man, why haven't they done a Mega Man roguelike? Like, that'd be really cool. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and now it's like, eh, I, I don't know. You, you just have to, you have to see it in practice to know it. Just like, oh yeah, that's why they haven't done that. Yeah. 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 A really successful one, I think, is, and I started playing this again uh, for one reason or another, is Super Mario Run. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that has roguelike elements of, like, unlocking things and, and playing yeah. too. I guess those aren't randomized. No, no. Um, those are bespoke stages. So yeah. That's a good yeah, never game. Mind. That's, a good, that's a really good game. Yeah. yeah. High quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ben writes in and asks, uh, where do you weigh in on the idea that games with DLC are being released incomplete? Uh, that's in- that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting question. I think context matters. I think that there is good DLC and that there is bad DLC. I try not to, def- to default to lazy dev, greedy dev. Mm-hmm. Um, most cases, I I believe that the DLC is additive, regardless of if it was planned alongside release or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I literally cannot, like, off the top of my head, think of, like, a time in the past couple of years where I felt burned. Mm-hmm. by the existence of dlc yeah i i just um in general i do my, and we're not always good at this and we mm-hmm. don't always follow this but i think philosophically i try to divest myself from the the time to money ratio yes when it comes to games um if a game doesn't feel like it has an ending and then they sell you that ending that's one thing mm-hmm. right um or like a major part like i think about um the human revolution dlc yeah that like you know the like the character literally does this whole journey and then they kind of hand wave it and then it comes back later as the dlc it's a little bit hinky but i also didn't feel like the base experience was lacking right for it like in principle like i I can understand why someone could be upset about that and having Mm -hmm. to spend the 10 extra dollars but in practice like i was not unsatisfied yeah um and when i hear people the games that people talk about the ending kind of being bundled as a dlc they just have historically just been games that i and this is just a coincidence i just haven't been interested in Mm -hmm. so i haven't had that experience right you know um that would have maybe you know the same franchise it might have been how i felt about mankind divided if they had done it uh the the dlc for it that actually continued the story Mm -hmm. um which they didn't there's a dlc for that but it doesn't actually wrap things up because they they clearly made that with a third game in mind Mm. but that's a that's a story that i feel like is incomplete but they also they didn't patch it with DLC. It's very rare that I play a game where I'm like, ah, oh, this is just like straight up not done. Yeah. No. You know, and I, I hear those kind of complaints about, um, you know, EA games and Bioware games sometimes. And I haven't had the experience. Yeah. You know, so I general, I does not bother me that much. I can imagine it bothering me. I can imagine a situation in which it would bother me. Yeah. Uh, as much as that was maybe kind of an unsatisfying answer. I think that that's probably where I land on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan asks, I know that's about covered in the last episode of the level, but since it's kind of the topic of jure at the moment, uh, what about the difficulty versus accessibility uh, issue and how do those things intertwine with one another? Um, I'm not on the level, so I, I will say, <laughs> say, say, my, say my piece about that. And right. you, can, you can tell me if this was already covered or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, you know, it, since because of Sekiro, there's just tons and tons of just thousands and thousands of words being spilled about this. Yeah. And it's a topic I think is super interesting, and I've been spilling words about it as well. Um, 
it is, I think it is a bummer that these two things got intertwined Yep. on one hand. Like that's a popular take is just like, well, they don't relate to each other. And then I also think like, but they are functionally very similar in many cases. Mm -hmm. Like you can say like, Oh, like I see a lot of times people on Twitter or whatever being like, well, I'm fine with like colorblind modes or remapping controls, but you can't do anything to change the speed of the game. And I'm like, well, that's you saying that disabled people who are colorblind mm -hmm. or who have limited use of their hands are more valid than people who have like a cognitive issue that slows down, you know, or that, that makes their reaction time. Yeah. Not as fast. Like you just don't get to choose how other, what disabilities count. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's one of those things where at first I was like, oh, these conversations should not be at all put together. And then now I think actually though, there's just so much overlap that like, attempts to separate these like anything that you would do to kind of change a difficulty mode mm -hmm. there is a disability or accessibility that like goes hand in hand with it yeah so just do it all yep you know yep you know um, and and well where we ultimately came down the level of, level is what does it take away from you you know go, go and see the uh tutorial episode of yep. you know uh, about 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 Sekiro, right that is that is the ironclad bulletproof like <laughs> counterpoint to all of this stuff like jim sterling did a really good video about this and i don't agree with him about everything about it right but he talks that you know that's his big thing is like why would anybody care why mm -hmm. do you ever care how somebody else enjoys the thing they bought mm -hmm. but like uh you know and nobody can has ever come up with a good answer for that and yeah. one of the answers they try to is like oh it messes with developer attention and he was like okay no more mods then <laughs> you know like changing changing dark souls to say thanks obama when you die that's messing with developer intention that's mm -hmm. not what they meant if you actually care about that you don't get to have your cake and eat it too with that like no, these people no. obviously do not care about developer intention mm -hmm. it is just shitty gatekeeping yeah and uh yeah, yeah it's a huge bummer like this is it's been a, a, a discussion and like a discourse that has brought out the worst in like a lot of people like i think that yeah. everyone is kind of rounding all the way up or rounding all the way down mm -hmm. but the people who are rounding down on the side of you know the, the people on the we should not have these options argument yeah, have been yeah. pretty universally repulsive um yeah I, I i would agree with that i was thinking about this when i was driving it's like you know what i i'm not going to like i i'm not going to set your ceiling if you do not set my floor yeah right like just yep. there we there we go. Like why do you get to like why why do you get to have all the ceiling you want and also have control over where the floor is? Yep. You don't get to just like dictate like when people <laughs> say, you know, I just want this how the dev is, that's not really what it is. They just want it how they want it. Yeah. You know, uh to to match their thing. Like I and also like I was I was tweeting about this earlier, like I started playing uh Enter the Gungeon again. Yep. And every patch they've done, they they made that game easier. Right. You know, and nobody complains. Like they still have options for it and it's meant to it's a hard fucking game mm -hmm. right like it is not like from software games are are hard but enter the gungeon is easy like enter the gungeon is as hard if not harder right. to like actually complete it in a lot of situations right but there it just <laughs> nobody cared when they had those modes nobody cared in darkest dungeon when they just said like hey you can make this you can turn off heart attacks if you want Yep. And it's just, it's the right idea. Mm -hmm. Like it is just like, it just feels like there's not a good argument yeah. against just letting people set their own ceiling and floor. Yep. You know, I bought the fucking game. Yep. <laughs> let, me do what, let me do what I want with it. Yeah. You know, if I, if I want to, if I want to like, if I buy a movie and I want to watch it with one eye closed, what the hell do you care? <laughs> you know? So. I, I don't expect to get an angry letter from Steven Spielberg, let alone somebody who really, really uh, yeah, feels like, like they Spielberg can speak stand. for Steven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I represent Spielberg, and I say that 
you are not allowed to do this. He's not you even though. Uh, so yeah. fuck this gap. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's, that's it for game questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna we have a bunch of them. You know, if you ask the game question, we didn't get to it. We'll get to it next month, likely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to move on to some other uh, categories of questions that have been uh, sitting in our like lingering in our our bin. Right. So we don't want to leave these fallow. Right. Uh, let's see here. So Ben says. Uh, what are some of the craziest schoolyard game myths and rumors you can remember hearing as a kid? Uh, example, everyone claimed to have an uncle who worked at Nintendo who owned a Nintendo 65. Uh, did you believe any of them? I This is uh, something that I put off choosing before because I can't think of a good one. And yeah. that's unsatisfying. The, the, I, just, I just don't have that. <laughs> so my, my, my crew... You know, the problematic crew of dudes call, yeah. call, call themselves the squad. I call you the squad as well. Right, right. So so the squad, you know, we were real in, we were real into uh, Square RPGs, but none of us had played Chrono Trigger yet. However, mm-hmm. um, we experienced Chrono Trigger vicariously through Nintendo Power and through, like, basically online, you know, message boards and stuff. So you guys all... had Chrono Trigger discipline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah um and all of us were saying like this this shala character must be real important if there are all these ways that you can save her Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) you know so a none of us had played the game b we somehow cared about this character c enough to give credence to these you know say you here's how you revive heiress level rumors Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that that makes that makes tons of sense yeah no it doesn't it's the craziest thing well, I mean, no, it makes sense for you to to believe it. Like, it makes sense you filling it in. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, filling in the gaps. Like, I think about, like, my video game buddies growing up, and we just didn't have, uh, you know, I had friends who were into games, but it wasn't, like, a games crew. Like, the schoolyard talking about video games was not something that I participated in as much as maybe I would like or as I feel like, right? you know, the average Legend of Zelda 1 Dark Souls fan has. Yes. You know? So I only did a little bit of that. I can't. I can't think mm-hmm. of them. I remember seeing lots of like April Fool stuff in magazines. I always love that. Oh yeah, and probably believe some of that stuff. But it's mm-hmm. all stock standard. Yeah, like it's all play as Shang Long stuff. Right. You know. Yeah, because EGM so. set the score. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I got a question uh, that I'll go ahead and get out of the way just real quick because it's it's a Gary question uh, from Ellie. Um, how is that vampire game going? And what clan character concept did you run with? Any fun stories that you'd like to share or tell? Um, that game is wrapped up. Brayton ran like a six episode or so limited series about finding Dracula's tooth in swinging 60s London. <laughs> um, and I played a uh, Bruja. Um, I always get Bruja and Gangrel mixed up. Um, yeah. The, the, the freedom loving ones, not the ones that can turn into werewolves and control animals. Uh, I think that's Bruja. Bruja, a heroin addict club owner named Maxi Sagittarius. Hmm who had a club called Sweet Little Lies that was in an abandoned soap factory and was so bad that he only had alternating light uh, nights, the uh, the Ruddles and the monkeys <laughs> playing on alternating nights. Uh, so it's always the Ruddles or the monkeys and never any better band. Yeah. Um, which was pretty fun and uh, pretty fun and funny. Nice. Um, and then the, uh, I guess like as far as just the, um, the stories uh, that, that came out of it, um, there was a uh, – I was gone a night. I was sick, and Brayton ensorcelled my character, mm. uh, with, and he asked me about it, but it had been so long since it happened that uh, when we got in the presence of the tooth, um, he's like, you really want that tooth? I'm like, oh, great. Like, I want that tooth. <laughs> you know, this character is a drug addict. 
he does stuff that he wants. Right, right. Um, you know, he like he knows urges. That's not commentary on addiction. I know addiction is very serious. But the um, you know, he he does what he wants. And I've I've been trying to do more of the. I can't remember where I read it, but the advice like play a tabletop role playing game character like a car you've stolen. Okay. You know, like you know, take more risks. Like right, right. You know, don't be because I I can be risk averse in games, and uh, that made me like run off. He's like, you have to get this pass back to the person who who hired you to get it, because um, there was some kind of talk of like, you know, making a play with it or doing something with it, mm-hmm. um, and that started. You know, all of a sudden we were in a PvP situation, and uh, Riff Riff was playing a character um, based on Bertie Wooster um, from Chiefs and Wooster, um, and was definitely like just kind of a good guy who did what he said, right, and and worked for people. So he was kind of the narc, <laughs> and uh, you know, it put us in conflict, which was fun. Nice. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we ended with like a nice little, nice little, uh, chaotic climax, hmm. um, that did not I go, you know, didn't go anywhere. didn't like save the world or end the world or anything like that, but it was neat. Yeah. So yeah, super fun. I like that quite a bit. Such a good mm-hmm. concept, such a good concept for a campaign. Such a, such a bad role-playing game. Nineties. Yeah. Like I know there's been hacks and stuff and new versions of it. And if we yeah. ever do it again, we're definitely going to play it in powered by the apocalypse or something. <laughs> we end up getting very frustrated by like the swinginess of the dice, like just, yeah. you know, everything depending on rolling a dice and just be like, well, this cool, super cool thing that we had in mind just didn't happen. No. Great. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. No good. Yep. Um, Holland asks, uh, maniac with the gun question. Gary and Cole need to pick out a tattoo for each other. It has to be at least the size of a cassette tape, and you cannot meet beforehand to get the other person's input. Hmm. Uh, what design do you choose for each other, and where do you have it placed? Uh, pocket both my face, forehead. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you're doing something cruel. I, I was going to uh, do something thoughtful and say, humanity sprite, uh, shoulder blade. I wish we had written these down in envelopes and then <laughs> I had to open them. <laughs> in my mind's eye, that that's what it was. I would probably actually do Greta. Yeah. Because the, uh, that's the thing. Like when I first got my cat tattoo, it was mm-hmm. like, you know, if I can, Cats uh, I can fall in, maniacs. I can, yep. Uh, <laughs> when I first got my propane maniacs, I thought like, oh, like I could get a, a, you know, somebody I'm in love with name on here, but you know, I know like you fall out of love, mm-hmm. but I'm never going to like not care about roars. Like, right. It's not going to be 20 years down the road. And I'm gonna be like, you know what? He actually wasn't that good. <laughs> you know, like, that's not gonna you're right. You know, and eventually, you know, uh, at some point I'm going to get a pocket. Right. Uh, right. Tattoo as well. Like just getting, you know, these kind of, you know, the human animal bond is pure and indestructible in a way that the human human bond is fragile and made of, you know, muffins. Yes. Like, you know, made of grams. I love that old saying. <laughs> that old saying, you know, grand's muffins, crumbly, crumbly shits, <laughs> ships biscuits. Um, Greg Pollander and uh, Casey Wolf both asked this question. They didn't team up. Mm-hmm. Two people asked uh, relatively the same question. Do you have an uh, average daily routine that you follow, like time of the day that you set aside for gaming or podcasting, or do you wing it based on what's going on? Uh, so um, we we have a weekly routine. Like the, yes. the, the the two of us record for multiple hours on two days of the week. Um, I've got two a couple, three. two to three. Yes. Uh, that's yeah. right. Because of bonfire set chat, we added a third one and shit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> on, on two to on two to three. Um, and I've got a couple more, you know, so we, we both have our own independent recording schedules as well. Other stuff mm-hmm. kind of fits in around that for me. Yeah. Um, I work every day during the week. I try not to work on weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can, 
Um, even though I end up playing games for the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of generally almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't have, you know, I have standing a week, standing, uh, kind of events in the week, but I don't set aside like individual hours. So like, yeah, yeah. you know, on, on a normal day, like we record out, for example, like, and we can, we'll just say what it is like on Mondays, we, uh, tend to record, we tend to start around noon, my time, uh, cause I'm a night boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's we record Watch Out for Fireballs that day. Mm-hmm. Um, those tend to be long. We sometimes add other things to it. So that's usually about four, four and a half hours right. uh, of recording. And then that evening, uh, I just kind of, you know, maybe sometimes I'll hang out with my girlfriend. Sometimes I'll play podcast homework. Mm-hmm. I'll do other stuff. I don't have, in, you know, specific things I do right, during right. the non, uh, non-recording time. Yeah. G- generally, I try to be awake by about 8 a.m. Um, and I try to at least have one reason to leave the house every day. Given that I work from home, that seems important. So I come up with a I come up with an errand to do, you know, late in the morning before lunchtime. Whether that's just like going and picking up some stuff from the store or going to visit my family and say, "Hey, um, I just like having that." But that is kind of just free floating, and it's whatever whatever needs to be done at around that time. Yeah, stop leaving the house, man. join join us like it it sucks it's overrated it's exceedingly cool to just like hang out it's perfectly fine you know it's it's really great to just like and then once you once i get you on that tip i'm gonna get you into that not not leaving the bed tip i'm I'm already weird enough dude like if you if you go like more than you know if you go a 24-hour period without really leaving the bed other than the piss (laughs) like that is just fucking shut well, well, I mean, so like, there, there's you just laid out the final frontier, which is just stay in bed all day. Yeah. <laughs> so what you what what you are prescribing as the ideal life is sloth from seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but podcasting sloth. Yeah. Hello, hello, and welcome <laughs> to. Um, yeah. What up, guys? Like, rate, and subscribe. <laughs> um, I I leave the bed. I don't always leave the house. Right, right. Um, which is fine. I don't, uh, I'm, mo- I'm actually super productive when I don't. Like, the days I don't leave the house are days where I'm like, I end up like working 14 hours that day. Yeah, Like yeah. with various kinds of work. Like, if I don't leave the house, it's because of that. But I usually have something between game night and uh, band and uh, social engagements. I tend to have something. Yeah, yeah. I leave the house for. It's just usually there's like, each week I would say there's like a, a, a day. Mm-hmm. Or so that I just kind of don't. And those tend to be my most productive days. Yeah. Not always. Sometimes I just like sit around and I'm depressed and don't do shit. Mm-hmm. But tend to be. Yeah. Much more, uh, much more productive. Yep. But yeah, no, no, other than our weekly schedules, the rest of the time I just kind of, I free ball it usually. Yep. Free ball it. So, yeah. Just, uh, just, yeah. Uh, just commando. Yeah. Commando that life. Oh, um, a, a daily routine. Oh, always. As soon as I wake up, brush my teeth and shower. Mm. And, I don't do that and, and, and get dressed. I, I don't. I don't, do I don't kick around the house in, uh, in in pajamas. Pajamas are great. I know they're great, but oh, if I wear them all the time, I'll never stop wearing them. <laughs> but why do you have to stop wearing them? It, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a cart horse thing, man. I suppose. Like, like they're comfortable. Yeah, they're super comfortable. But if I'm wearing my pajamas, I'll like there, there's nothing stopping me from getting into bed. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I th- that logic quite follows. No, like, it doesn't. But none of yeah. this is logical. Well, I, yeah, I mean. <laughs> The, uh, no, I, I wear a lot of sleep pants, yeah. uh, around the house mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it's uh it's very rare that I leave the house with them. I'm, I haven't crossed that line. Right. Right. Yeah. You're I, not a, I, I you're think not a college like, freshman. Yeah. No. I, I think that like a lot of those like decorum kind of things, like if it helps a person, that's good. 
mm-hmm. at the same time there's there's a fiction to it oh certainly you know, yeah I, but like, it's it's all about managing mindset i, I don't impose yeah. that on anybody else yeah and i am i am too uh you know uh you're, you're too too hyper aware of fictions yeah yeah even for my own good about that kind of thing where i'm like ah you know i end up on that that i go ah a yep. lot that's very frequent <laughs> right, noise. Right. If there's a little doll version of me that you pull the string like <laughs> lots of, uh, yeah, uh. yeah yeah um do we do the topic or lightning round first what let's let's move on to another subject yeah uh so i think the lightning round comes after the topic okay let's do uh show questions yes um michelle grimmer asks um i know the watch out for fireball sketches have gone away count me in among the sad but understanding um i was hoping you talk a little bit about my favorite watch out for fireball sketches the final fantasy 7 series about sid's inner monologue during ex- extensive exposition scenes cool sid is a joy gary's bugen higgin uh, impression is a delight uh, even if there's not a ton to say i just wanted to mention how those make me laugh thanks yeah thank those you one of our rare um like multi-part things well, that's, that's one of the reasons why we stopped doing them right. is because having to come up with different concepts for the same game. Yeah. Uh, you know, not not because of that individual sketch, but because mm-hmm. it was like pressuring. I'm I'm personally like I like that those exist mm-hmm. at some point for patrons. I want to make a supercut yeah. of all of them. I'm Five glad hours. that we stopped doing them. Yeah. Like I, you know, it, it's not um, I like them. They have they have definitely have their place mm-hmm. and stuff. A bunch of them I'm very proud of. But it was just, um, you know, on some games it was like, yeah, this mm-hmm. is. I got a really great idea. And then just that kind of feeling of like, I got nothing for this. Man. Can yeah, we just record the episode and see if something <laughs> pops out? Yeah. I hated that. I hated that yeah. feeling so much. It was like carrying around a weight. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Um, and that's, that's not my, my favorite thing. So like mm-hmm. being rid of that is nice. I think that like in general, um, the, the, the trend with the Patreon restructures that we've done has been towards more focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have consequently, you know, a lot of people, I'm not saying this to pat our own back, but a lot of people have been like, you guys are doing your best shows now. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, the most recent watch out for fireballs have been like, you know, you guys are doing your best. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we have decided to focus yeah. and that's why that's happening. Right. right like right. we didn't just all of a sudden like learn some podcasting secrets. <laughs> right. We're just more like literally more focused, like spending more, even if it's not conscious, like spending mm-hmm. more energy thinking about the game and doing the task at hand rather than kind of side stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that's actually like, I, I also think that we're doing really good right now. And I think that, uh, that bears out. Yes. So, um, not to, and I'm glad people like them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't mean that as a, you know, yeah. you, know you fools like this thing. Well, I, <laughs> you know, I, who put countless hours into doing it now, all of a sudden I don't think it's good. That. Like, I, I think it, they're great too. I just, yeah. the time had, had come and gone, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and and for me, you know, I mean, the, the the most fun thing about doing those was the audio edit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the performing and thinking thinking them up was 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 always you know pretty pretty fun when 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 it, when it hit. But the the edit was always fun, even if it took a lot of time for me because I added abject suffering. I can do stuff like the crazy McDonald's sound collage thing that I did at the global at the beginning of the Global Gladiators episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and even just like if that stuff's fun, like nothing's ever going to stop us from doing things for fun. Right. If we want to do them, <laughs> right. but not having them be an obligation. That's part of a show is great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like we, Reginald podcast is not going to come down from on high. Yeah. And say you weren't like allowed. We, we do. We do like a lot of stuff. Like one of mm-hmm. the, the kind of soft, you know, thought that we've had for the restructure is just like for shows, like one in one out. Like we've been thinking about something to do for the milestone for getting to this, um, for crossing 10,000 and we mm-hmm. want to do something for it, but it can't just be like, well, now we start the final fantasy show. Right. Like I just, 
you know, I am just like so much happier and I think doing better work mm-hmm. with some, with some more focus and I am at capacity Yeah, yeah. With, with number of shows that I do. Like this is as much as I want to think about games per week. This is as much as I want to talk about games per week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will man the boundary. Into, yep, exactly. Like just let's keep the, uh, keep that boundary up. Yeah. You know, and, and what does it mean? We don't want it. Like I said, we have some kind of cool plan that is too early to announce. We mm-hmm. have a thing we want to try to do for that. We don't want to not be grateful. We just early on, like the story of the Duckfeed Patreon's evolution has always been, <laughs> we had no idea how to provide value other than doing new shows. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of continuously made that the goal. Right. And, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily a mistake because we're doing great now. We ended up fine, but it wasn't the smartest way to do it. Right. I think. Yeah. So live and learn. Yep. You know, um, um, yeah, I think this is you. Yeah. Marcus asks uh, a two part question here. I'm going to focus on the second part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd be interested in what are the most and least fun things that happen off camera? How tricky is it to coordinate with people in different states or countries with their own timetables? Any part of the show, like editing, that either of you prefer to do over other important duck feed jobs? Just curious, since in some shows you've mentioned that you're jealous it is X person's edit, often for music choice purposes. Yeah, what do you? What do you? What's the least favorite thing you about this job? Cole? Email. Like, what, <laughs> yeah, I don't mind email. Yeah, um, we, we've got a couple like nice like little little synergies there it's the secret i mean the so a we like each other so that is a good secretive relationship but like like that is what i would urge anybody who you know is looking for a creative partner find somebody who likes doing the things you don't like doing yeah yeah, yeah. so e- email is coles you yeah. uh, know who, who doesn't like doing email um i don't i'm i mean that we we largely stopped doing it i i hated scheduling guests yep for, for bonfire side chat. Like I, I talked about how much that's a pain. It doesn't mean I think that they added value. I think it was really good. Mm-hmm. It put me up on this mini loop of, uh, feeling like micro rejections. Yeah. Yeah. Like you do when you're applying for a job, like even if it's a job you don't want or anything like that, like there's mm-hmm. just something to me, psychological about being told no. Yeah. When I'm like, would you, would you do this, this thing that just feels bad to me, whether it's logical or not. Yeah. And I, I never quite got over it. And it also uh, made the um, once we actually had the episode, um, they're always kind of exponentially more work. Mm-hmm. Like even if we had uh, a podcaster on, and we're not gonna we're gonna still do the the occasional bonfire side chats with guests, but mm-hmm. even when we had other podcasters on, it still was just like much rougher to edit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I like editing. I don't I don't love it though. Editing is purely like that's work for me. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's not it's not a big deal. It doesn't take very long. But it's not my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, so that would probably those are the the my two two things. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing is like I like doing email. Like I'm mm-hmm. happy to to do do that stuff, and I'm happy to do. Um, I've, and I feel like this is not spilling tea. Like fair to say, like say like the lion's share of the like community management stuff. Yeah, yeah. On Slack, um, mm-hmm. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Like, and uh, I and I like doing notes. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. So like right now we, we generally do the stuff that we like and yeah. don't do the stuff that we don't like. Or, or share it if there's yes. something that is equally onerous. Yep. Yep. No. Um, yeah. Uh, as, and that's, I mean, that's kind of, kind of pat, but I think that's, that's probably the answer. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Um, it's always easy. To, it's very easy to schedule with Jeremy and and Will. Right. So the other people who I record with, obviously the fact that Teenage Dirtbags hasn't come out for a while means it is hard to schedule with Brayton. Yep. Um, he's just real busy, and it is. I I can't say like, hey man, this is your job. <laughs> right. You know. Put, put this aside and also i have been busy like when he's been free so mm-hmm. it's just like that show will come back yeah um it is just uh like i've said this before but i think if any show on the network is going to become like a it comes out when it comes out thing yeah kind of regularly i think it might be that one because our schedules just don't match up very well yeah um yeah yep. and and just real quick the little sub question that's part of that is it is more fun to edit a show when uh the music is good yep <laughs> Um, because you just get to listen to it a lot and you get to make a choice. Like if we do a game where I feel agnostic about the music, mm-hmm. it is not fun to go through that OST and pick songs because it's like, well, none of this is fun. None I mean, of this is good. The, the fucking stalker episode, man. Yeah. Was that, was that rough stuff with that? <laughs> Oofa doofa. Yeah. yeah. I do not, I do not remember the music of stalker. So I, there's I a reason for that. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Whereas like the halo one, like I, I try not to go, I, I kind of have an internal heuristic about how much music I like to put in. Mm-hmm an episode um if it's not a music-based game and that one i was spoiled for choice right right like an intro an outro and a middle break Mm -hmm. is what about what i want for you know a two two and a half hour episode Mm -hmm. like anything more frequent than that feels a little bit um choppy yep to me but with that one there were so many songs like i could have chosen you know and then doing things like um like rhythm heaven or katamari is really fun like Mm -hmm. if the game is about music it's you know it's very like the rhythm heaven episode was really satisfying because it was like for each of these zones of the game, like what is my favorite song? What right. is like, the best song in the section? Mm-hmm. That was super fun. Yeah. Good so. stuff. Yeah. Um, moving on here. Uh, I'm going to move on to David's question here. Um, Bioshock Infinite and Frostpunk are uh, my two favorite episodes of Watch Out for Fireballs in a long while. Probably my top five of all time, despite being very different episodes, both in terms of the games themselves and the tone of the episode. Which do you think was better, and which uh, and what about each game brought out the energy that you two had in the episodes? Um, hate and love. <laughs> yep, hate and love. I think that yep. that is exactly what I was going to Eros say. And Mort- <laughs> Morton Eros. like it's just the uh, the uh, you know just uh, passion. Mm-hmm. I guess in in either case, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I mean, just a bit about Shock Infinite offended me on so many levels, and Frostpunk sang to me on so many mm-hmm. levels. They just they just lined up. You know, yeah. I don't. I don't think we have to feel that strongly about uh, a game to have good analysis, but I think that that definitely put a little goose in our performance. Yep. And and there's so many. I've said this before, but there's so many things that are just dependent on like mood and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. Like how much sleep did we get? How are we feeling? Like, you know, all those things that we can't, we can kind of control for, but also mm-hmm. just happen. You know, the same yeah, way that like, yeah. if your job is like screwing rivets, <laughs> um, you might screw slightly fewer rivets if you wake up with a cold. Mm-hmm. You know, I do feel like those just kind of uh, the weather also kind of affects how well, like what kind of energy we have. Yeah. You know? Yep. So. Um, and then let's do, I'm going to do one more show question because it's pretty, it's pretty easy. Uh, yep. <laughs> Rockapella tribute band. Uh, says i'm guessing as a quasi newcomer to the network approximately six months ago that this may have been asked or covered previously but i'm curious about the creative process that goes into your abject suffering intros they're often quite clever and fun uh but also feel very improvisational obviously but you both know the game going into recording but beyond that how much pre-planning do you do before you launch into the intro uh none none (laughs) 
<laughs> no, none. And that's not a weird brag or anything because yeah. I think some of those are exceedingly stupid. Yes. Um, but the and not always in a good way. Right. Like we can make hay. <laughs> right. Out of things that are really, really dumb. But mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, we don't we don't plan those at all. No, no. Like maybe I'll have an inkling of like like what the uh, of of what the randomization will be, but like we'll sit down and say, "Do you have a randomization?" Yep or nope, or one will say, "I've got one," and then we just go with it. Yep, and then just kind of make it up as we go along. And it does not, you know, sometimes it is uh, is very good and very funny, mm-hmm. but part of it is because the bounding box for what's allowed is so wide that we yeah. can just kind of follow, you know, make whatever asides, and like that's that's the show that doesn't follow any rules. Yeah or anything so uh there's a lot of it of just kind of reaching for stuff yeah you know and, and hitting it so i think th- i think those are fun too i'm glad people like them yep um and uh but yeah there's no no planning yep nope and i i love editing those those are those are always yep. a lot of fun to do yeah i imagine so yeah um thanks everybody for the show questions mm-hmm. uh moving on to our topic for this episode this comes from zom um oh and, and real quick if your question has not been answered it could be because we have a lot to say about it and mm-hmm. we're saving it for a topic. If we end up with a bunch of topics, uh, kind of in a backlog, maybe we'll do an oops all topics episode yeah, or something like yeah. that. Like mm-hmm. we won't let these last. We won't let these go forever because we got a bunch of really good topic suggestions in the last uh, mm-hmm. the last call for responses. Yeah. Um, this one is actually from last month though. Um, Zom says my suggestion for a topic would be something akin to perspective, or rather how games were perceived as products of their time, how some games have aged well and others are quite problematic in hindsight. This is a huge point being made in the Bioshock Infinite episode. I know you both tackle it in almost uh, every show, but I think maybe having a bit of a bespoke selection can help drive that topic a little bit more clearly. So, no. yeah, what uh, what age is a game? Um, how do we, when we revisit work and when we look at it um, with uh, kind of more advanced uh, kind of perspectives and yeah. such? What is that like? Yeah, uh, th- th- this is also related to something that Jake Fortier uh, wrote in as well. Uh, asking what age is a game, you know, uh, what is more egregious. Um, and I think it's important to define our terms, right? Are we talking mm-hmm. about the subject matter? Because obviously there are like politics in a game that can age well or poorly. You know, we, we talked about this in Bioshock Infinite, right? Like the race stuff and that, you know, plays very different post Black Lives Matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, that stuff is worth talking about. Yes. Like on its own. Like it's kind of. There's kind of two different questions in this because there's the the how does something get dated the same way all media gets dated, mm-hmm. you know, and then games have that additional kind of uh, perspective of being played. So you end up with something like Duke Nukem Forever, <laughs> right? you know, right. which had like dated mechanics or something like, you know, what we thought of like Halo yeah. ODST, right? It was like it felt very archaic. Right. Um, all those things are worth discussing. Right, right. You know, um, and I think it's genre dependent as well. Like some genres will just kind of stand up mm-hmm. um, to, to more time. Yeah, yeah. And others do. Um, is is so, is that the give give me an example of a genre that stands up to time? Because when I think about that, I think about like, oh, why, why did all music from the seventies seem really good? You're like, oh, mm-hmm. because the only music you hear from the seventies was the stuff that was the stuff good that enough survived. to be played. Yeah, yeah. I I think that in in a general sense, like a uh, like there are definitely two <laughs> D platformers that feel aged. Yes, but not. As much as I even think, like, you know, the difference between a good 3D pla- or a good 2D platformer now, mm-hmm. like a, a Shovel Knight or what have you, and the difference between a good 2D platformer in the 80s is not that different. 
Yeah. Whereas the difference between what's considered like a good open world game now and what's considered a good open world game in like the early 2000s is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Like trying to play like GTA 3, mm-hmm. like that's just so horrendously difficult <laughs> to like get into. Like every, like, you know, the quest design just isn't there. Like, you know, the writing and that like plays into the offensive shit too, because, mm-hmm. you know, Rockstar is not good at that. Um, you know, but it's just like that, just that feels aged. Right. You know? Um, FPSs age in a weird way too, because there are some that, uh, you know, when you, it's that middle period that is aged the worst, you know, like right now we end up with things that are like doom callbacks, uh, and what have you, like, mm-hmm. um, what is that game that just came out that is apparent, uh, that's like the game or the doom knockoff kind of throwback. I don't know what you're talking about. The, there's like, a, there's like a new, you know, uh, indie darling game that is name escaping me that I really want to play. That is like a doom like, yeah. and people like realize like a lot like, oh, yeah, like doom played really well. Like it was fun to move that fast. Right. You know, some of the level design shit was bad, but like the monsters and the kind of projectiles and dodging and stuff, all that was really good. And then you end up with things like kind of from a little bit later mm-hmm. that have aged like much worse. Yeah, you, you, um, you get to uh, like a Hexen. Yeah, yeah, yeah Hexen's a real rough one. Like, you know? like Quake 2 has aged so much more poorly than even Quake 1 did, and then it's super yeah. weird. <laughs> yep. yep, yep. Yeah. Um, um, and, you know, I, I kind of wonder, right, because, you know, you, you, your opinion about a period of time changes depending on how far out you get from it. I, I, I don't think that, like, anything released from, like, to 1995 to 2002 is ever going to is ever going to feel like it, it has aged as well as anything released elsewhere and like it, like yeah. that is just like this weird awkward adolescence for a bunch of different kinds of technologies and stuff put out there is at a market disadvantage in terms of yep. ever ever feeling like it would be relevant outside of its time yeah yeah there's definitely um so a lot of that stuff is period dependent right like things that came out during times when kind of the medium were experiencing was experiencing growth and change. Yeah. Um, so you end up with things like, you know, 16 bit consoles are like eight bit, but more so generally. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you end up with the move to 3d and you end up with ugly, ugly Dorito men. I mean, that, that, that that's an axiom sprites and 2d artwork are always going yeah. to age better than 3d no matter what. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of no matter, you know, it just, it's not going to look as good. You know, mm-hmm. we're just going to get, get kind of better with that one it's 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 like a a painting versus like a real doll kind of thing <laughs> you know and you can't don't tell painting. me what art is <laughs> yeah yeah um dusk was the game i was trying to yeah play. i i just pulled that up i was gonna yeah. i was gonna wait just, for a lull to bring it in Plus nobody uh so me. they've already tweeted you uh, probably <laughs> that's right. dusk delete right. your tweets yes untag me, untag me <laughs> um yeah so like what are what are some other like fulcrums on which the industry kind of switched that led to some really poorly aged kind of thing other than 2d 3d art i mean so along along with art or technology photorealism or any any given era's attempts at photorealism will always fall behind um art direction and stylishness yep. i think yep so you know wind waker versus you know twilight princess or what right. have you yeah and like twilight princess doesn't even look bad but it looked it doesn't hasn't aged as well right you know as, as it doesn't have that kind of like timeless kind of look to it mm-hmm. that, that you know is, is very attractive yeah like if you just then, did a poll on like up down appeal right yep yeah. um and then a lot of that stuff is just is trend yes uh, related so it's very hard to say like are we circling what is good 
are we like slowly figuring out what is good by kind of spiraling towards it? Or are these things like assigned waves and things go in and out of fashion? Right, right. You know, so like I think about like game length, right? Like, did we just realize like, oh, games don't need to be like or that uh, the length uh, uh, a long game can adversely affect the quality of the game? Mm-hmm. You know, is something that I feel like is a generally well accepted idea. Like right. It doesn't always do it, but it can. It's capable. You know, a game can feel stretched out and poorly paced mm-hmm. at 80 hours that might otherwise feel good at 15, right? Yeah. I think that not very many people would argue with that. Is that something that we discovered or is that something where it's just a trend now and because, you know, gamers have grown up, uh, people have less time and that's just in fashion. Yeah. Or we have grown up like we're at different, you know, stages or seasons in our lives, too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it, it's kind of hard to say what that is. Like, I like to think that even when really, really long games were more in fashion, it was still true that the game themselves kind of suffered. Like it was it was good that it was long at the time, mm-hmm. but maybe some of the like shitty repetitive quest design or stretch out narrative yeah. of the game would be better served in a shorter game. Like, I like to think that's like the medium getting closer to truth yeah yeah as opposed to just fashion but i can't say for sure it's hard to tell it it, it, it really is yeah yeah um uh, kind, of, kind of along with time i think that generally um games that respect your time or make overt motions toward respecting your time will always feel modern and of a piece um, mm-hmm. you know, it just because I, I, I associate hostility and I associate repetitiveness with stuff that with, with stuff that's older, you go back and you play something, um, that, 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 that is kind in those ways that I described. And it's always going to feel breezy and modern in a way that is, uh, is satisfied. Well, and even if you take, you know, I know it's my pet, uh, my like pet, like punching bag genre, but if you, even if you take like JRPGs, mm-hmm. modern JRPGs do tons of things to mitigate that. Yeah. Right. And they and they're praised for it. Like people loved uh, you know, the Bravely Default games. They loved Octopath. Right. And Octopath did a lot to make things breezier and quicker and waste less of your time. Yeah. That was that was a, a you know, a design goal of those games. Mm-hmm. And and those are in fashion for fans. So even if you like really love that genre, you know, it feels like that's something getting closer to truth. Yeah. And- you know, like it's closer just it, it is objectively a little bit better to have Less time spent in menus, like less time uh, spent, you know, just doing random encounters at the same speed. You know, like when they bring back all those Square Enix re-releases and you can play them at three times speed. Right, right. You know, like I I don't think that's just a fashion thing. I think that's also just we've realized it's better to do that. So, yeah. What else? I feel like I feel like there's got to be some other things like that that are... um, just kind of, just kind of things uh, that that people now kind of get. Yeah. Um. One thing that that's interesting that I that gives me pause about this. I don't feel like we're necessarily like circling truth. You know, for me, and this is is gonna make me sound like you know judgy, and I know this is subjective, but like the kind of embracing of the Skinner box is something that bums me out. Um. <laughs> and that's that's definitely a thing, right? Like all this excitement for Borderlands Three, like the success of Diablo Three. Uh, destiny, you know, things like that. Like the kind of like, I want to tune out and not pay attention and I want to get bigger and badder guns from like loot boxes mm-hmm. as a thing. Like, I don't, I don't know if, you know, my, my preference would be that's a, that's a fad, not 
us getting closer to the truth, but I could be wrong and be an outlier on that. That feels so engineered to be like, like just specifically to be fast food and fast food. It never goes away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I worry that I worry that that stuff that we are seeing that feels tacky and feels like it is going to, you know, age like a casino <laughs> i guess you know like like go take a walk around circus circus from what i understand right uh right. I, I, th I think that 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 is going to be with us um because that appeals to something fundamental um, yeah and degenerate in people's relationship with gambling specifically with gambling I can I can definitely see that. Yeah. It just bums me out, right? right. Like that can that can definitely be true, but mm -hmm. it just you know when you say that feels engineered, like it literally is. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I there has been some pushback on it, which I appreciate, which just shows that it's like something you have to be careful when you play with it. Mm -hmm. Like I don't hear a lot of good things about um that new Elder Scrolls game, right? Like yeah, uh, I have seen a lot of pushback about it. I tried it. It's garbage right uh, like it's egregious dumb garbage yeah, yeah. It, it is so shitty yeah um they just straight up lied and said it wouldn't be that mm -hmm. and then made it that and it's made it's designed like oh you're just like oh this is designed to manipulate me yeah. and and appeal to the worst parts of me mm -hmm. um i would love to think that we would like that that would be less appealing at some point yeah but i mean again though if you're enjoying it like i can't take that fun away from you right like yeah it's just a thing that i recognize that at some point like i will probably calcify and the stuff that I think is good, I will just kind of think is objectively good and not be open mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to change. Like, right. that probably happens. That happens to people as they get older. That's like a tale as old as time, oh, right? I see it with music, specifically. Yeah. Like, you stop listening to new music. Mm -hmm. Like, and it just kind of happens, right? Um, I just, you know, I on one hand, I worry about that. The other hand, I just kind of think, like, yeah, take me. Take me <laughs> to death. Um, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sit here and stand for, like, robust, short, single-player experiences. <laughs> yep. Until I die, while the yeah. entire world is a battle royale or schluter. <laughs> what the fuck know, is fuck a schluter? It's a loot shooter. Oh fuck, Jesus! You know, yeah, no, you fought Fallout seventy six or whatever. No, yeah. yep, schluters. Oh, that that, that um, is that is fucking terrible. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't isn't it grotesque? Yeah, like just saying it makes me feel like I need to go like fucking swallow a bunch of mouthwash until I die. <laughs> Like, I just need to clean my mouth until I have no mouth. I have no mouth and I have no mouth. Like, I, the end. Yeah. <laughs> the short story. I have no mouth. I have nothing to say. Yeah. Because I'm dead. I have no mouth. Yeah. 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 It, it grosses me out. Yeah. Like, it just... <laughs> You know. so, so i mean to, 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 to that point because you recently pl played diablo 3 and you put out that special you know the, the special duck feed presents about that like what wh what do you think makes diablo 2 age better than diablo 3 ever will um like if the, you even feel that way yeah like i do i feel like diablo i've never been a huge diablo 2 guy no yep. like i i like diablo 2 but i'm not huge into it i still think it'd be a good waff at some point just because it's such like a classic mm-hmm um, but it's like builds. It's like the the feeling of uh, so the the big difference is when every time I leveled up, those games are about leveling up and making numbers go up. In Diablo two, when I leveled up, I would choose from a list of skills and strategically think, I want to choose this skill to make this type of guy that fits my playstyle. Mm -hmm. In Diablo three, every time you unlock a new skill, it's the best skill that you have. Yeah, there's no reason not to change to it. And I was just seeing new particle effects when uh when i leveled up yeah and there's you know i talked about in the episode lest anybody again tweet me like untag me cowards <laughs> the, um, i understand that once you've gone through the game several times and you get to the unlocked like nightmare modes or what have you 
there are synergies that happen with equipment and stuff where there actually are builds about seeing how high you can make the numbers go up and how fast you can get your KDR <laughs> okay, up and everything, yeah. but it's not in the single player. It's not in the, the six hours or seven hours or eight hours I put into it. Right, right. None of that is, is evident. Um, so, like, that's the difference. Like, they're both just, like, slot machines. You know, one more click slot machines. But one of them, it's like I got to choose how I pulled the arm of the, the slot yeah. machine. In Diablo 3, they just keep presenting fancier and newer arms. You know, it's like, well, why not? Why not try this one? It's more effective. It's yeah. More likely to win. I guess I just, I'll just choose this one. Like, there's no choice involved in it. No. And I, and I think like a lack of choice in those kind of things will age a game. Like when I think about my all-time favorite games that are old, they involve tons of choice, right? Yeah. And expression. Like ASX, right. Fallout, like tons of expressive play, like ASX and Fallout and Dark Souls. You can play those games in lots of different ways. Um, you know, you're always making choices. Like if I sit down to play Dark Souls, I'm thinking, what kind of character do I want to play? Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of that in Diablo because you're choosing your class, but they're all particle effects. Mm -hmm. Like it's all just progressive particle effects with bigger numbers. Right. You know, and if I sit down to to play Borderlands with that, like, yes, I might have slightly different skills on cooldown mm -hmm. and I might prioritize different weapons because of that, but it doesn't fundamentally change like what I'm doing when I level up or how I interface with it yeah. as much, you know, like the difference between like, you know, I replayed Deus Ex recently and like I played it as a more, cause I just never done it. I played it as more of a combat build. Mm -hmm. Um, just, I've just never done it before yeah. and it's viable. Like you can do it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just changes how you play so much, you know? And I was just like, Oh, this is my JC. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of like, I own this version of this character is huge to me yeah and that will make a game age very well yeah to me. yeah um and 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 you see that like the, that is something that goes in and out of fashion you know the amount of agency that you're given over your build it seems like that is something that is taken away as time goes on you know as you kind of get funneled down into whatever the optimal or prescriptive experience is going to be um mm -hmm. you know and, and, and i just wonder if you know did the games of choice age better because because of replay or just because they do i don't know feel less stagnant it's both like you, yeah. you replay because they're less stagnant yeah yeah like i'm you know I'm, I'm coming around on some of my complaints about sekiro and enjoying mm -hmm. it more on my like play that i'm doing along with the show right but i still can't imagine like just replaying it right like why would i do that if i've proven i've, I've been able to beat the thing and it yeah. won't be an appreciably different playthrough like I can, I guess I, and a level I can understand just wanting to be in that combat system, mm -hmm. but I want to do different things as well. Like I want to see different things, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a real, like what comes next yeah. kind of guy. I want to see what's, what's around the corner. Mm -hmm. Give me treats. I'm a gamer. Yeah. Like the, well, that specific kind of treat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that can be, you know, Deus Ex, like maybe you don't end up in a new area when you replay it, but you do get different dialogue if mm -hmm. you tackle this area this way versus this way. Yeah. You know, different character development stuff. Yeah. So you, you you do get a whole new system to mess around yeah. with. Yeah. And that's super important to me. Yeah. C kind of along with choice, something that that shook loose was voice acting. I think oh, that sure. <laughs> like counterintuitively, the more voice acting your game has, the, the like the shorter its shelf life of feeling modern is going to be. Um, you know, we may be approaching a singularity of w w with this where like, you know, if something is professionally produced, we're going to have, you know, Hollywood level performances, 
Um, you know, so I, I don't know how this applies to something like Life is Strange, but specifically for RPGs, I think that the presence of voice acting is always going to A, limit that choice, and B, like, I don't know, like, fashion changes. The amount of, like, yeah. you know, like, like, like what's, what passes for, what passes for good production value changes where something you know where 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 you know oblivion is inadequate now yeah right like just, yeah, oblivion's very rough yeah um and was not the case uh when it came out right you know so like being able to predict that kind of thing is tough right you know so i don't i don't blame the developers for that necessarily nor do i blame people who are like who might be listening to this was like wait i thought oblivion was really good yeah oh i like, did too at the time out. yeah like, we all did yeah we were all impressed <laughs> by that yeah you know, it just hasn't, I don't think anyone would say it aged really well, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. And then like, just real quick, the, the, uh, political correct stuff, like that will age a game faster than any of this, Ooh. right? Like I'm, um, rereading that adventure, uh, games book from hardcore gaming 101. And I just mm-hmm. read all of the chapters on leisure suit, Larry <laughs> and the summaries guy, of those know, games. It's just really rough. And I play those games and like them. And uh-huh. I'm sure there's still jokes I would like Yeah, in it. I just know there's stuff I just like wouldn't be cool with. Yeah. You know, and then those went on to like when Vivendi bought those and made the PS2 games. Mm. Those are even worse. Like yeah. they're cruder and worse. And then there's a Kickstarter for one that will chill your blood into ice. <laughs> that's out right now. You, and you, said, you sent me a link to the trailer and it was an act of violence. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to fuck you over, man. I was like, just like, here, watch this before bed and have nightmares for the rest of your life. <laughs> Um, I was trying to activate your GERDs. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, so it, it's just, uh, that kind of stuff is a real, uh, and whereas something like, um, that you know, obviously like the, the, the arc of progress is slow, but bends towards acceptance or whatever the, you know, the, the quote is right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, something like Tacoma is not going to seem age poorly because it has a diverse cast. Right. Right. There's no future in which like people look back on Tacoma and say, you know what? It's pretty weird that like there were, there was a lesbian couple <laughs> in this. Like no one is ever going to say it with, with diverse body types. Right. Right. Like literally no one is going to ever say that. Right. So that is a way to make your, your game or your piece of art in general, like age proof as well. Mm. But, so. but what happens when all the lesbians go to space? And leave uh, us maybe. behind, and they 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 remain something that you know, like a like a misty part of our past. And it'll be a bummer. But we'll be long dead. Yeah, that's true. So that any of those bad futures, we probably don't have to recommend, like, have to worry about them. Okay. Whew. Yeah, I think I think that we will definitely get to the point where we're, we we rent water. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think we will see that part of the bad future, but we yeah. won't see the. Uh, and I don't think I don't think we're seeing any utopias, man. No, like, no, no, for anybody. So yeah. don't don't worry about that too much. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I I don't know that I have much more to add on this. It just like, it really feels like something that lives in the gut, right? Yeah, that's true too. Like if you're like, man, I feel like my time has arrived now with battle royale shooters. Mm-hmm. Like more power to you. I can't fun is real. I can't take your fun away. Yeah, you know I do feel like finding that line between things that are actually like things getting better, things circling truth, versus uh, things being in fashion is very subjective. Yeah, and hard to say. I can just kind of say how I feel about it. Yeah. So let us, uh, let's do a couple lightning rounds and then hit the, uh, hit the responses. Yeah. Um, going to let you go first. Okay. Um, this is a, a leftover question. Okay. If you had to staff a JRPG party, uh, this is from Julia, uh, shout out to Julia JRPG party with only Twitter personalities, or if you're Cole, you can use SNL characters, <laughs> uh, who, which roles and why, um, I would do the, the challenge mode, all drill, 
<laughs> which is like the all mimic party. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, from Final Fantasy Tactics. Oops, yeah. all mimics. <laughs> yeah. Um, Canteen Boy is the Ranger. Uh, the Continental uh christopher walken's character he would be uh he would be the rogue or maybe the paladin i think uh paladin. yeah exceedingly sexual character Cole. well you know high charisma right the bard the bard okay. bard, bard's very good yeah so. yeah um and that that that's it <laughs> it is yeah, canteen boy in the continent, continental yeah yeah that that's I would, I'd watch Canteen Boy in the Continental. <laughs> oh, like, uh, wait, um, Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer as the Barbarian. That's, that's, that's a very good Barbarian. Yeah. Just, just imagining, like, a Cajun Man in Continental, like, <laughs> trapped in a shuttlecraft, orbiting the sun. Yep. Yeah. Uh, just uh, be rough stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good. Uh, no, I was going to say, go ahead with the uh, the next one. Okay. Uh, so Paul asks... Uh, how are you getting on with your Commodore 64 minis? And may I recommend Ocean's licensed tie-in for the Untouchables movie on Commodore 64. It's really good. Um, it's neat, but I haven't loaded up. I've been, I had to get ready for uh, Milwaukee and then I got sick. So yeah. I've not loaded up with, uh, with homebrew or with uh, ROMs yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's fun. I'm, I'm looking for an aftermarket controller for it. Yeah. That controller is rough shakes. Yeah. Yep. Super step. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, and you yeah, know, I, like I just messed messed around because that's just a, a scene that I mostly missed. So going in, it's it's kind of like a, a like renting time in somebody else's childhood a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the the Charlie Kaufman nightmare movie. Ooh. The um yeah I uh, and I'm I'm on board with these minis. Like I yes. pre-ordered the Genesis one. Mm -hmm. Like I've just decided like I'm gonna do that. That's that's gonna be my nod towards having old consoles. Yeah. Like I know it's not the same. I know I can emulate them. But instead, I'm going to have this little shelf with these little cuties. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, Tom Jock says, uh, please tell us some fun kitty anecdotes. Um, Pocket has been really good since I've been back. He definitely missed me. Mm -hmm. um, I think that some of his acting up is like separation anxiety stuff. Mm. In general, I think I did a kind of a bad job of acclimating him to being away from me, mm. working from home. stuff. But he's been being really great nice. since I've been home. Um, he did. I bought a bunch of new glasses. Um, to have different color choices, and he did drag uh, two of the cases and three of the lens wipes <laughs> from a shelf in the bathroom into his litter box. So when I came home, it did look like like an optometrist took a shit in his litter box. So, <laughs> hey Gary, in your mind, do the optometrists eat the glasses? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. cool. Um, I don't necessarily have one. Like, like personally. Uh, I, I felt it real. I, I, I felt it very strongly when I left on vacation, um, you know, leaving Greta behind. Um, mm -hmm. I missed her a lot and, uh, just the spike of joy that I got that night when I got home and she was waiting for me at the door and was just completely like blissed out, like, you know, rubbing, rubbing her cheeks on me and, you know, chasing me around the house. Uh, that felt very good. Oh yeah. yeah. Like the, the human animal bond is so powerful. Yeah. Like it's it's stronger than stronger than iron. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Craig asks, uh, back when you guys had day jobs, did you ever game in the morning before work? Uh, no. Yes. Okay. Yep. The, yeah, I, I I tend to to get up. I I'm just I'm not I'm not good in the morning. Yeah. So I uh, I'm very slow. I eat and drink coffee and watch like something non challenging on YouTube, mm -hmm. and that's that's my morning. Yeah. So. Um, I liked doing it to give myself a buffer because left to my own devices, I would roll right out of bed, get in the shower and go directly to work. If I planned to play a game, that would be, uh, that, that would force me to take a slow morning. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Cal asks, what would you trade for the ability to surf? I would trade um, um, needing to mow my lawn. You didn't say I, I would, had to trade something good for the ability to surf. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd, probably, <laughs> I'd probably trade my various diseases. <laughs> yeah, I would, tra- <laughs> I would trade more my mortality for the yeah. ability to surf. Yeah. I, I know you were asking for, like, you were hoping for, like, the ability to walk. Yeah. But you're not going to get it. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, my diseases. Right. <laughs> um, I, have, I have very little uh, interest in surfing other than that. Yeah, I don't, I don't really no. think about it. I don't, I don't feel that. Uh, I, I don't feel that as a deficit. No. Uh, David asked, which game would you rather see a two, 2019 or beyond version on the Switch? Pokemon the trading card game or Pokemon Snap? Um, I would say Pokemon Snap. Uh, the trading card game, uh, like just because that already kind of exists, like if I want to, I can go play the actual card game. Mm-hmm. Like I love the Game Boy version of that, but if I wanted to, I could play the Pokemon card game. And I bet you there are ROM hacks that add in new cards and shit, like there is with uh, Chandelar. Oh, yeah. Planeswalker. Um, Pokemon Snap is a unique gaming experience that has never really been matched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, my answer would be the same. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's see here. Teenage Dirtbags crossover question. I just want to know what Pokemon Cole thinks would be tastiest. Mr. Mime. Ugh. No, no. Uh, long, long Mime. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, f- f- Farfetch'd comes with his own side dish. Oh, Farfetch'd is a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I scramble Chansey is not bad as well. <laughs> um, Chansey tempted me too. Yeah, just, just scramble the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Interparty Conflict asks, uh, are there any conspiracy theories that either of you personally subscribe to? If not, which is your favorite one to ponder? The moon doesn't exist. It's just the back of the sun. Oh. No. Is that for both? Yeah. <laughs> yes and yes. No, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't per- personally believe I believe in any weird ones. I think that any, I think that conspiracy theories are the result of a just world fallacy. Um, and I've never seen a conspiracy theory that explains something better than a combination of greed, short sightedness, and lack of empathy does. They're, they're kind of, I, yeah, I generally don't think, uh, conspiracies exist because I don't believe that many people can keep a secret. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like for the moon landing to be fake, it would just require a lot of people not spilling the tea and like mm-hmm. too many people and, and conspiracies are weird now because like. You know, they're politically charged. In a... Yeah, they're politically charged now that it's become mainstream. Yeah. You know, so it's like a conspiracy. Conspiracy theories seem less fun to me than they once did. Yeah. Um, I think Deus Ex would feel a lot darker. There's a Aaron Single has today. a video about that. Oh, yeah. And it, it's like he spends a lot of time with it. I didn't, When I replayed it, I didn't really get that from it because it's much mm-hmm. more like X-Files. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like the conspiracies feel, you know, it's not like uh, Columbine is a false flag. It's it's more like. <laughs> x-files yeah yeah and like anything else that like like maybe possibly it is into that like it just i don't know that it's a conspiracy theory as much as it is a belief based on evidence like if you're rich enough the rules don't apply to you unless you screw over somebody richer than you yeah (laughs) like i don't think that's a conspiracy theory it's paranoid but also it is true to my to my observation of the world yeah there's a little bit too much truth to it yeah bam yeah, so I think I think that's probably a good place to move on. I think so, yeah. Hit uh, hit up the so everybody, thank you for writing in. If your question was not answered this time, we will get to it. Um, it is likely a thing where uh, it was either we didn't have time or it is a topic and we have a lot to say about it. Yeah. So we will uh, hit it up on a topics episode in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and now on to your responses. Yeah. 
Um, so I'll get us started here with the Spec Ops responses. Richard says via contact, your talk on the quality of gameplay in Spec Ops Align made me think about an evaluation I think I've noticed come up a few times. That uh, that being a tendency for people to exaggerate the negative in games for daring to be fine? Perhaps it's my affinity for games like Nier Automata, a game with all right to sometimes pretty good gameplay but could use more challenge and variety, and The Missing, J.J. Macfield and the Island of Memories, a game with fine to occasionally truly frustrating gameplay, where the burden of gameplay is just don't be bad enough to take me out of it. But I've often wondered what other players' standards are when they complain about the quote awful gameplay of Nier Automata, Spec Ops, or The Witcher 3. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. Um, I I, I think that we, we we talked about this in the Spec Ops episode, but it's like I, I feel like it's almost a rhetorical necessity that some people feel like when they're talking about games. Like if the story in the Spec Ops the line is really really good, um, and it is, there has to be something else to like counterbalance that. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like people are assigning points on a character sheet. <laughs> so yeah, zero we, we, summing it. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, or, and I, or just like bright lights, dark shadows. Yeah, yeah. Another right? that's another way to put it. I think. Yeah, it could be just like it's so good in this thing, and like there is a why can't we have both? Right, right. Element to this thing, and what is fine for some really does vary, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of people told me that the combat near was fine. Yeah, and it's not <laughs> like it's it's sub fine. Like that's a terrible game. Right. Um. You know, like it does interesting things narratively, but mm-hmm. the actual gameplay, like to me, it's when it interferes. Yeah with with my enjoyment of the good part like you know i i haven't played near automata but with spec ops and the witcher 3 i enjoyed the 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 mechanical part of it it wasn't why i was there but i actually had fun right if i was if it was like near one where um it was just a dumb chore i had to do to get to the next bit of like mm-hmm. you know interest then i would i would probably round it down yeah you know it so just, it's a little it's a little subjective, but also I think that you're right that it is something where people are just hesitant to to have something be great in one area and fine or good in another. Yeah. yeah. Um also a good old dash of internet hyperbole. You know, the number of people who said The Witcher 3 was unplayable because of its combat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah unplayable is a real rough charge. Yeah, I don't um I mean I, I've definitely thrown it like in a, like a, abject suffering games, but yeah. Nothing. No. It's it's very hard for me to think of a modern Right. Commercially released game that is unplayable. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, James says by contact. I played Spec Ops around 2012, enjoying its critique of shooter tropes, like many at the time. Unlike most Spec Ops fans, I also moved to the Emirates in 2017. I love that as like unlike most Spec Ops fans. That's true. <laughs> like, most people like the game didn't move to the Emirates in 2017. Oh, so you like um, Spec Ops, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, James continues, it was quite a surreal experience seeing Dubai with a post-apocalyptic game as my initial reference point. Sandstorms can actually get crazy around here with two to ten inches, uh, inch piles of sand forming on the streets and walkways. People here just deal with sand like the snow and ice is dealt with in the Midwest with sand tires and sand plows. What really seems to mess things up here is when it rains a couple of inches. <laughs> I've seen crazy 19 car pileups that are caused by two inches of rain, not to mention all the mini floods caused by lack of drainage. That's really interesting. Yeah. Of course there are sand plows. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But the thing is, sand doesn't melt. I mean, under oh, normal yeah. conditions, sand well, doesn't melt. Right. <laughs> Somebody has not thought about halo glassing a city. Jesus Christ. Oh. Yeah, no. The, see, the, the, the internet has poisoned all of us to where I, to, to where I have to qualify. Sand doesn't melt. Uh-huh. 
Uh, uh, you tried. You tried speaking colloquially. Yeah. <laughs> this this, this cannot revenge. stand. This will not stand. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, snow, and for for as bad as it gets here in the Midwest, it melts. Uh, so you know when you're in a big parking lot and you see that pile of snow that sticks around forever, mm-hmm. you know, because they just they 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 okay. it up. Uh, there's a name for that. Hmm. Yeah, is they, it John. They, they, yep, it's John. His name <laughs> his his name is John. Uh, no, those are called June piles. Oh, okay, interesting. Because yeah, yeah, they're around it, till June. Yeah. My brother told me that because he, he he worked selling heavy equipment, and that included plows. And he, mm. he he just informed me of that one little piece of the lingo. That makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, all that, that's pretty interesting. I guess you just had to plow the sand and, like, just put it back in the desert. <laughs> the, the sand just had a little fun little adventure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now it's back. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Uh, let's hear Alexander writes via contact. I very much enjoyed your spec ops, the line episode. One thing I thought would have been worth mentioning is the fact that this was produced by a German studio, though admittedly the writer was America that in it, that in itself is unusual as not too many well-known games come out of Germany and certainly not many shooters. I was also sorry. I was always wondering how much the anti-war tone uh, and to some some degree anti-Americanism is due to the, is due to that fact. Um, would a U.S.-based studio or even a British or Canadian studio ever have made such a game? It's yeah. It's hard to say. I don't know. I, I want to. Yeah. I, w- I would like to say yeah. I think I think that there is an anti-war sentiment over here that is strong enough. Hmm. Yeah. Like yeah, I think the idea being just a game this big. Yeah, you know, so you end up with something like um, the division or what have you, which like is it, it's it's about how fun it is to shoot looters. Yeah, it, it's about it's, it's the Schluter looter. Sure. Uh, it's, it's about killing Schluters. <laughs> um, but it, it's about killing uh, people in hoodies who loot things. Right. Um, but they still the studio is still saying it's not about anything. You know, or right, you end up right. with Far Cry Five, which like they said the studio is like this isn't about anything. Yeah. You know, like our our big studios are dumb cowards but the, in the states at the very least. Like it, I could see them, you know, maybe they would make it, but they would never cop up to it. And that's one of the things I like about Spec Ops is like it just says it is what it is. Yeah. They didn't do interviews later saying like, you know, they did talk about how some of the stuff was not uh, the part of the initial intent. But they didn't come out at the end and say our intent was just to make a fun war game. <laughs> You know, like right. they don't—they're not trying to pull that bullshit like Ubisoft or Ubisoft does. <laughs> mostly, Ubisoft. <laughs> mostly Ubisoft, but like yeah. 2K Games is based out of New York. Like you, you yeah. know, like a, a lot of that, like a lot of the onus for that, specifically the marketing and the way things are put out, I I, I put on the, the 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 publisher more than anybody. And for as much as 2K is an international publisher is a gigantic company with tons of subsidiaries like you know it's it's not like they don't have a really strong foot in in america as well yeah you know i don't know i don't know where to put like blame for it other than just that it sucks yeah you know like it, it just i don't know stop yeah. saying your things aren't about anything yeah I, far cry, I, like i didn't play far cry car far cry 5 mm-hmm. uh but i did read a lot about it and yeah. it was exceedingly frustrating <laughs> because it was like we might do something interesting yeah, and then they're and like no nope. no no it's not no don't please don't be interested in this like it's nothing i swear it's nothing like, we <laughs> i'm, try, it. I'm nothing. trying to delete it <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying to erase it yeah um yeah i i think so i mean ultimately i think that the fact that this is a double a game has more to do with its anti-war tone 
um, yeah. than where it was developed. If this was a triple A game, I could see hedging. But well, and also just I mean, it, it's kind of brought up in the response, um, but also the writer no. having sentiment, right? Like it is just kind of the they he was just given a lot of freedom. Like we talked about that in the episode. Mm-hmm. But they, the people are just given a lot of freedom, so it's probably a team thing. Mm-hmm. It's people from the you know the studio, but also just the writer wanting to make this kind of statement and kind of stumbling across it and realizing they found something special. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Andrew says, by contact, big fan of Spec Ops The Line over here, uh, so much so that I ended up recently presenting a topic before my university's English department on the subject, specifically relating to the theories of Jean uh, Baudrillard. But Baudrillard. Baudrillard. Uh, just a few hours later, your episode goes live. Great timing. If you're curious about the content of the presentation, it's essentially about how Spec Ops The Line draws parallels to Brawlyard's uh, famous paper, The Gulf War Did Not Take Place. Uh, Brawlyard, I still don't know if I'm doing that right, but I'm just going to go with it. Baudrillard. Uh, Baudrillard. Nope. B. Big B. <laughs> Big old Big B. B. Big B, uh, a gigantic B, outlined <laughs> how society has distanced itself from reality, focusing instead on a fantasy or simulacra of a clean, glorious battle. Obviously, Spec Ops does subvert this, but in some interesting ways. Take the double screen of white phosphorus scene. The, so- the sociologist stated that the Gulf War was merely simulated, a phantasm of an actual event, waged across screens devoid of conflict. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I've heard of that theory before. I don't think I've actually read Big B's uh, paper, even though I've heard the buzz around it. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. You don't need to apologize. Sorry. I just I I think that I'm just uh appreciative of your of your of your of your handiwork. Now, mm-hmm. I, if I haven't read that or if I haven't read that essay, then I at least have like seen it referenced elsewhere. The idea being that because the Gulf War was was presented on television, the entire like presented on television in a way that the government allowed you allowed people to show it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is such a distance between between the populace that you know that the war was being in was being waged in the name of um compared to something like you know Vietnam, where you right. saw you know where you saw the footage of the caskets coming home and things like that, yeah, absolutely yeah. Like, I mean there were desert desert storm trading cards right you know like it was definitely a thing that was i I will definitely buy that, and then like later um and this would kind of extend even past the Gulf War into our modern sand wars right. that we have. Like you look at something like um, the uh, boy, David Simon's follow-up uh, generation kill, yeah. you know, and that compared to things. So th- it feels like it's kind of catching up, but the Gulf mm-hmm. War took place in a very specific kind of fulcrum before there was really interest in dispelling the illusion. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like, yeah. and that's a, that, that's very interesting. Like now there's enough healthy distrust yeah. of that shit. I mean, but maybe not then. And you know, j- 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 just so we're not shitting only on re- on Republican wars, I remember uh, the night vision missile shots of the bombing of Kosovo. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the late '90s and stuff, like 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 that shit. I mean, <laughs> one of the main reasons the '90s sucked was because of that. Was because of the 24 hour news cycle and just kind of like, well, we're we're just gonna watch a war tonight. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. What's yep. on war? It's always on. <laughs> yep. Ooh. You know. Depressing and true. Yep. So yeah, that's awesome, Andrew. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Benedict, big B number two. Uh little says B. <laughs> little B. 
uh, says via contact. Here's my favorite moment uh, in a favorite game that I've not seen discussed anywhere. During the first shootout with the 33rd in Chapter 4, The Refugees, there's an intentional, I believe, slash hope moment uh, where you round a corner and a terrified, panicking woman runs toward you, fleeing the gunfire. The first time I played the game, it startled me and I shot her. At the time, it seemed so silly that I laughed, as the idea of the hero protagonist accidentally gunning down a civilian because he got a little spooked was so discordant with my idea of the good guy narrative. Uh, when I replayed the game years later, it startled me again, and I very nearly killed her a second time. The memory of laughing at it the first time around flooded back, and with the context of the whole story, I had to put the game down for a while. Uh, it gave me greater feelings of guilt and sickness than the white phosphorus did, as the subtler moment of casual guiltless violence was entirely on me. Uh, more so than the ending, uh, that three-second moment stuck with me for a long time. Uh, this game is a masterclass in small touches, all meaningfully contributing uh, to one important idea. Also, uh, not to go on, but a quick shout-out to the I don't want to take your last piece of gum guy as being more human than some stories manage with their whole cast. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it was intentional that you would replay it and think back to laughing, but I do think it's probably intentional to have this very casual chance to commit a war crime. So you can contrast <laughs> the later It's kind of an amuse bouche yeah. of war crimes and inhumanity that you have ahead of you, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I think so, I know. I think I know what Benedict, Benedict is talking about, um, and it has to be intentional. I just, I, I, I can't see them not. Oh, not for, for sure. Up. Having yeah. having the, the the innocent person come towards you, but I don't think you're supposed to laugh at it, and then no, no. later rue about laughing at it. Yes. Like I'd be surprised if they had that kind of like foresight, mm -hmm. you know, for it that you're going to be replaying it. But it is, um, you know, not only is it kind of a small taste of what's to come, but it's also a very stock video game thing, right? Like mm -hmm. you're playing area 51 and an innocent person pops out and goes, don't shoot me. Let's and go. it's a kind of, you know, funny, yeah. you know, funny, <laughs> funny little dumb trope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the game's like, you do, you like, uh, you like killing innocent people. Well, it's a big <laughs> deal, huh? Yeah. Um, I, I initially kind of bristled at Benedict calling the game subtle and like, Oh yeah. Like even if the overall product hits very hard and very pungently, it can still be composed of subtleties like that. Yeah, it's tons of, there's tons of subtlety yeah, in it. Yeah. And it's also, I'm glad, I think we brought this on the episode, but I'm glad Benedict brought up that every part of this game supports the thesis. Yes. Like, I think that we talked about this in uh, when we recorded, but it's similar to Papers, Please, in that respect. Yes. Like, Spec Ops is a unified work in a way mm -hmm. that very few video games are. Yeah. So, um, moving on to Halo 3 ODST responses. Jake says, via contact, when I heard you guys were doing a Watch Out for Fireballs on ODST, I got super excited. My 360 was my console that I had through my teen years, so naturally, a lot of my favorite games are from that era. So I jumped on the old X-Bone, spent the $10, and got ODST booted up. Hyped to revisit one of my top 10 games, uh, the, and the first cutscene loaded in, and, huh, this looks a little jankier than I remember. Little did I know, this was a sign of things to come. The rest of my replay was filled with being underwhelmed. I played all of the Halo games, but coming back to one without iron sights kind of stinks. Everything feels less precise than the shooters I've played since, and it made uh, it overall less enjoyable. The visor system is cool on revisit, but they really only do one cool thing with it, i.e. how they treat invisible enemies. It feels better executed than Detective Vision, but only by being visually prettier. I wish they uh, had done more with it. It felt like death by a thousand cuts, with more and more stuff not living up to my memories. 
At the end of my playthrough, I couldn't help but feel disappointed. It's not that I think ODST is a bad game, it's just not as great as I remember. It's interesting how certain games can get worse the more you're exposed to other games and the more the medium evolves. That really makes me fear an Assassin's Creed 2 revisit. Assassin's Creed 2 is heartbreaking because what you what you have in your mind is Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the combat in Assassin's Creed 2 is lacking compared to even the rest of the stuff in, Ezio, in the Ezio saga. Hmm. That, that I know that doesn't sound like anything to you, Gary, but I yeah, just that, wanted to let <laughs> I just I, I just I just wanted to wanted to get that out of the way. Um Assassin's Creed 2 is gonna be tough to go back to. Yeah. 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 Um yeah. So <laughs> uh childhood memory ruined. Kill confirmed. Yeah, it, it it is hard to uh to go back to stuff. Yeah. Like we have something coming up uh in on the schedule this year mm-hmm. that I am fearing going back to. I'm curious. Hard. I'm curious. What, what, what is it? I would, uh, we, we can bleep it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, I already, I have suspicions already. Yeah. But I can imagine it being way worse than I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> like, so. Yeah. yeah. So, um, hard stuff. Hard. Michael says via contact, as someone who was also late to the Xbox party, I was drawn to the Halo franchise through this game. I remember hearing that some of the Firefly cast was in it and the marketing leaned into that whole jazz noir aesthetic. Playing through it for the first time, I had a similar reaction uh, that it was very disconnected from the marketing and felt pretty bland aside from some uh, wacky aliens. Uh, It was weird to me that the series was so popular if this was what the games had to offer. Though it was fun to chill with some of those Firefly guys, the experience was mostly forgettable. However, it convinced me to try some play it convinced me to try playing more games co-op until I played ODST I'd been pretty dismissive of shooters in general it eventually led led to me bonding with my sister and a few close friends playing things like Halo 1 through 3 the Gears games and Resident Evil 5 so although the game itself was only mediocre it was a kind of gateway drug into playing shooters co-op and creating a lot of happy memories for that, I'll always look back fondly on ODST. Yeah. Context is yeah. important. The life you live yeah. around the games matters. <laughs> totally matters. Yeah. You know, and co-op shooters are really fun. Yeah. Like in general, that is a, a recipe for fun. That is a genre that lands pretty well, even though I know we talked about Schluters as mm-hmm. not being fun. Like, I think that's the reason why those games, you know, people are not necessarily the, the dark side of that is mm-hmm. the, the slot machine that's you know, textually, the yeah. devs manipulating the player. Yeah. Like, they're not even pretending that's not what it is. <laughs> the reason why people play those, though, is because they want to shoot things with their friends. Yeah, the the, the 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 bright side of that is the appointment that you make with somebody who matters to you. Yep, exactly. Yep. And that's that's valuable. Yep. For sure. Uh, Forrest says, via contact. This is Forrest, the one who mailed Gary the Xbox. Hey, Forrest. Mm-hmm. Um, I will mail back your Xbox. <laughs> um, I appreciate the public thank yous and the ODST episode at the end of March's WAF Dispatch. Always a pleasure, never a chore. On to ODST. As a near day one Halo fan, I think your assessment of the game pretty much nails it on the head. The open world elements are half-baked. The excitement of playing as a not-chief fizzles instantly when you find out ODSTs are mechanically identical, identical, and overall the game feels like what it is. An expansion pack gussied up to justify a higher price tag. I remember at the time, speculation was that this was at least partly Bungie's decision who had been cranking out Halo nonstop for almost a decade at this point and were eager to finish their contract with Microsoft to produce five Halo games. The use of in-game posters teasing Destiny in New Mombasa probably helped fuel this speculation. Listening to your recap a decade later sort of reminded me of the Mega Man series. 
Lots of fans like to argue which one is the best and which one jumped the shark, etc. But to a non-fan, I imagine all the entries look and play more or less the same. And going back to the original, it's interesting to see how much of its identity is already there and calcified the by the developers at their first by their first crack at it. Um, I have two recommendations if a Halo game uh, is ever to be played again on Watch Out for Fireballs. The original title did the best job of mixing the tones of goofy aliens versus self-serious hoorah stuff into an easy, natural, and attractive package. Also, the gunplay in the original is the most raucous and spontaneous, in my opinion, and the most fun. That being said, the level design and repetition is as hideous as they say. Halo Reach is widely considered to be the most polished and refined of the Halo games and is seen as Bungie's final thesis on the series as a whole, having learned from all the others that what works in a Halo game and what doesn't. It has some great skirmishes, varied and detailed environments, and probably my favorite soundtrack. However, the melodrama knob is cranked until it breaks off, and there's an over-reliance on long-range combat that loses some of the series' signature versatility. And yes, absolutely, 100% playthrough with a friend or three. Yeah, thanks, Forrest. Good thoughts. Thank you. Good thoughts. I like that comparison to Mega Man. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's actually really apt. Yeah. Um, you know, we can sit here and say, like, oh, yeah, Mega Man 6 is not worth playing. It's like, <laughs> anyone looks at Mega Man 6 for, like, boy, this this is just, I see Mega Man jumping and shooting a, <laughs> you know, a, a robotic cat. Like, yeah. this is this is pretty much Mega Man 2, dude. Right. Like, no. <laughs> you don't understand. You don't understand. But yeah. they do understand. Right. Like, they are, right. you know. There's a there's a degree of, of a sensitivity required to see the differences between some of these things. Yeah. So good comparison. Yeah. Um I didn't realize that they were advertising Destiny in uh in ODST. That's weird. Is are there other games where you go to New Mombasa? I didn't see Destiny in this one, but I also might have just missed it. Because like we said, I think the game does train you not to poke in the <laughs> <to> corners. <laughs> right, right. You know? uh, I have no, I have no idea. Uh, I, yeah. I don't I don't think so. Yeah. No. Um yeah. And before we move off of ODST, I like I, it has been really tough talking about this game because I say the acronym ODST and it sounds like I'm saying ODST. Sure. Like, 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 like it's a Star OD Wars villain. Clan. What? Like, like if Odie joined the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just the word odious and then T. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's really tough. Really tough not to, not, not to trip over that. There's a character in Game of Thrones called like Dolores Ed. Okay. Or something like that. And that's, that's very rough. Or Dol- <laughs> Dolores Ed. Okay. Dolores or something like that. Dol- Dolores yeah. Ed. Yeah. It's, it's very, yeah, it's very. Silly. <laughs> um, yeah. But thank you, Forrest. Hmm? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, RE2. Yeah. Let's do this. Uh, so author MC, make up your mind. Which one are you? Uh, <laughs> author MC writes via contact. The RE2 remake is one of the best games I've played this year. Uh, and it was also the first time in many years uh, since I felt a genuine sense of fear from a horror game. Yes, Mr. X was scary and those liquors are something else. But the time I felt the most fear was the section where you play as Sherry, hiding from the police chief. Sure, he's just a regular man. But after splashing the acid in his face uh, and he's cursing you out while threatening you, throwing desks around and shit, I was legitimately scared in a way I haven't felt since I was a small child myself. Not to mention Sherry whispering to herself. It all felt very real. When Papa Birkin showed up, I cheered audibly, since he wasn't even close to being as monstrous as Irons. Fuck that guy. I'm glad he got a Birkin baby. <laughs> glad he got a, you're getting a Birkin baby. You're getting a Birkin baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I love Irons in the in the remake. Mm-hmm. Like, it, to me, it's a, it's a big improvement. And, uh, yeah, it's just really, really well voice acted by that terrible scab voice actor. <laughs> right. So, 
did an excellent job yeah unfortunately <laughs> so it's a great scenario design like it uh it, it definitely it like it feels and it feels like more modern than even some of the other stuff that they that, that they brought in mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's like a good pace breakup yeah i think yeah i like it too yeah um adam says by contact I'm a longtime fan of the series, and I found Resident Evil 7 to be an almost perfect experience for me. I like to tell people that I really started to notice the flaws in that game during my fifth playthrough. <laughs> it just clicked for me. The amazing Baker Estate is one of my favorite settings, easily as memorable as the Spencer Mansion. I love the emphasis on resources and scarcity, putting the focus back on survival. And I love the Bakers, antagonists with real personality. The Louisiana setting of RE7 really lets the game get weird in a way I love. It felt like they were liberated to get to that silly, scary place... Uh, that I feel is the sweet spot for games like this. In the end of Zoe DLC, your health recovery item isn't green herbs, it's critters, and you just crack open a crawdad like you're snapping into a Slim Jim. It's ludicrous. Prey 2's grounded uh, setting and characters just didn't leave as much of an impression on me. While I love the actual play and level design, it's just not weird in the same way. Mr. X is great, but ultimately left less of an impression on me than Dark Dad. The police station is brilliant, but less flavorful than the bayou. For all of its problems, playing as Mia in an extended flashback was more interesting to me than the sections with Ada or Sherry. And while Ethan is a blank slate, I found Leon, noble but good Kennedy, to be very flat without his RE4 flippancy. Still waiting on the Leon S. Kennedy slash J.C. Denton sitcom, by the way. Oh, my God. Uh, I just kept wanting uh, the game to be weirder. I miss you, Dark Dad. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's it's impossible for me to separate re2 nostalgia yeah from from the actual thoughts of it like all mm-hmm. those things are true i have a lot of space in my heart for something that's a little bit more of a straight putt you yeah. when it comes to horror like i don't just like silly horror like i love resident evil 7 i love resident evil 4 but i also love resident evil 3 mm-hmm. you know i love resident evil 1 i love the resident evil 1 remake um those are more straight up horror yeah and those work for me just as well as the, the kind of goofier entries like i don't seek the goof right quite as much and re2 like i just bring a lot of myself with it yeah you know so i, I mean that, that that is as good of a response as anything that i could give it's you know i i i, I kind of want to say like oh i've got room room in my heart for all my kids How, mm-hmm. however flawed they are re6 i'm looking at you uh but that makes it sound like <laughs> adam's heart is small and dark and blackened you know, no, not, like a little brick cat. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, you can yeah, have a you it, can have a preference. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, and yeah. I hope that Resident Evil Eight continues on the Resident Evil Seven trajectory. Same, you know, and but leave the remakes for this kind of like, let's take some of the the, the campier stuff from before and make it better. Yes, you know, keep. I would love alternating games, really, kind of mm-hmm. for eternity uh, until I die. Yeah, you know, so just, uh, Capcom's back, baby. Yep, good, good, good. Capcom is good. Yeah. Yep. No, and you know, I think that is something that you know of the Resident Evil series for its long um, and kind of spotty history. Uh, one thing that they have done is kind of like set a really wide gamut for what the tone can be, and that can only benefit, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. It could. Yeah. It, it, it can be you know toward either of these extremes and still be still be a good and cohesive product. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Into it. <clears throat> me too man have you played the end of zoe dlc nope it's... i i figured we would do the dlcs for the show at some point so i have not okay. done them yeah it's 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 really good and we should we should do them for the show yep we we definitely talked about it yes before doing like a dlc roundup mm-hmm. 
Um, Isaac says via contact, I played Resident Evil 2 remake this year. Uh, it was my first interaction with RE2. Prior to that, I only, I only finished four and the remake of one on the GameCube. While I do agree with your opinions of the RE2 remake, I found it to be, I found it to be too much for me. I only got to the point where you open up the statue in the police station to go underground. And at that point promptly said, fuck that. No. And haven't gone back to the game. My point is, this game is too scary for me and too tense. I love and respect how well done this game is, but it's just too much. I felt like I was going to have a heart attack with every corner that I turned, to the point uh, where it was almost physically painful to play. Uh, there's a lot of talk about accessibility ac- accessibility lately, what was Sekiro tearing people apart. But if something's too scary, it seems like people generally don't care. I'd like to see the rest of RE2 firsthand, but I don't think I ever will. Honestly, that's okay. Not every game has to be for everyone. I've come to terms with lighting 60 degrees on fire, and it's cool. Has there ever been a game that was just too much for you to continue playing? Um, yeah, I, I talked about before. There's like a, a Half-Life mod called Afraid of Monsters. Hmm. I couldn't play. Uh, that I think is is too scary. And a lot of those like spooky jump house of jump score scares or like uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, yeah. Like just constantly getting startled like that is not interesting to me. Yeah, and it's not worth like pushing through. Five Nights. Yeah, my answer is going to be Five Nights at Freddy's. It just yeah. too too exhausting. And one of the things about this, um, you know, a horror, like how this plays into the Sekiro accessibility debate kind of thing is that like, to me, there's just a difference because this is fundamentally kind of part of what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a horror game. It's part of the genre, yeah. you know, um, it's not, it's, it's more baked in, like it's yeah. the subject matter, you know, and the, the subject matter, like if you don't, let's say you hate, uh, like you don't want to, um, you know, you, you, you don't like cops. And you, so you just don't want to watch a movie like a cop movie, mm-hmm. kind of no matter what. Like it, it, this is a movie about cops and crimes and, and criminals. Yeah. And I just don't care about that. Like then you're not going to like that thing, you yeah. know. So like, and and I'm not trying to say that that uh, Isaac doesn't like monsters and scariness and stuff like that, yeah, but yeah. it's a it's interesting contrast with like um, Soma because mm-hmm. they released like the no monster mode of Soma because Soma has monsters in it, but it's not only a horror game right right. like that's not that that's not the the main thrust of it whereas mm-hmm. this is definitely meant to be scary right so yeah it's uh you know it, it's hard uh, again because i because i like horror games so much you know i think that they're you know the it's arguments about form and function right the the secure argument is that oh like like the function of this thing it doesn't work if you you know for whatever reason be it physical or mental um, any part of you cannot execute what it is asking you to do. We see that as being, uh, and, and, and you know, wrong, right? Like, oh, right. Yeah, like that, 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 that just sucks that they, that, 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 that they have turned that to 11 and don't seem to really care about it. Right. Uh, for this, it's like, it, it, it feels harder because like, it's, it's the form, you know, like, like that, that, that this is a horror game and form yeah. and function can and often are entangled but it feels worth it it feels worth at least nominally being willing to keep them separate for distinct you know like the distinctions and discussion right Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. like this would be this would lose a lot yeah like there's not if this was not scary like i I, i'm not saying i'd be against them like having a Mm -hmm. mode that turned that down right like if they could figure out a way to do that Mm -hmm. um it wouldn't just be adjusting numbers right like the way adjusting a difficulty would be but if they could figure out a way to have this have 
a mode that was not quite as spooky, yeah, do it. I wouldn't I wouldn't play it, but like mm-hmm. that's fine. It yeah. wouldn't hurt me and it would let you enjoy the game. That's awesome. You know, um, but it's not something where it doesn't feel similar to Sekiro, where with Sekiro, there are lots of things that you're just literally gated from getting. Yeah. You know, this is scary and that's kind of the thing that it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like what's behind that scare? Oh, more scare. <laughs> you know, I, I would I would be curious to see what kind of what kind of mods come out. Like like if it if it literally is just they're like... all nude Claire. <laughs> like it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not joking. No, like, no, it's really just like Bikini and nude Claire. Yeah, and all yeah. The mods. But 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 you're thinking about so I'm playing Satisfactory right now. I love that game to bits. Um, and it has something that I think is really interesting, which is an arachnophobia mode. You know, some of the monsters mm-hmm. that you can find out in the world, they're spiders. If you don't like spiders, you can tick this box and they just show up as something else, similar to a mod that came out for Skyrim that replaced the spiders in the caves with bears, right? Yep. You know, like, into that stuff. yeah. And, and, you know, like there are different kinds of scary and, you know, I, I'm not sure what Isaac is scared of. Is it the gore? Like, is there a mod that can turn down the gore? Is it, you know, the realistic, the, the realism of the motion? You know, yeah. I, 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 like that, that is something that I can see users um, addressing. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, it's a, a, you know, or is it the, the jump scares is it the ambushes, Yeah, you know, and is it the, and it's, you know, it's not the, the scarcity or whatever, because mm-hmm. the scarcity can be turned down by, uh, you know, the difficulty. You can just mode. play assistive mode. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. But yeah, all those modes, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those, I know that wasn't necessarily the question, right? but that would be, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, Ilium uh, says via contact. Howdy boys. How do you do? Um, I was curious if you could expound on your feelings about how uh, sexualization is deployed in RE2, specific to, specific to the irons slash sherry sequence. The implied sexual threat at first glance feels like it might heighten the sense of danger and villainy of irons. I thought it was a little tastelessly deployed, but can see that there's some wiggle room here vis-a-vis uh, its use as a trope. What caused me to really turn the corner, however, was the mayor's daughter. I felt skeeved out by the combination of her youth and sexy nightgown. Add in the description from the mayor's daughter's uh, ghost survivor story, which she escapes and runs uh, to our adult-ass journal friend, Ben, who is explicitly designated as her lover, and left with a character treatment that didn't set well with me. I should say, I still really enjoy the game. It's one of my favorites of the year so far, but this element gave me pause. I think RE2's treatment of women is a lot more complicated than this one is sexy, therefore it's all bad. Uh, read Astrid Rose over at Bullet Points Monthly for a good example of why. And uh, there is a, a link here. But I do notice a tendency for Capcom to rely on certain tropes when it comes to women. Uh, you're my mom now, new lady. Uh, <laughs> curious how you felt about this uh, piece of the game. Love the cast. Thanks for the content. Hope you enjoy your weekends. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, like, right, wrong, or whatever, it didn't stand out to me. Yeah, I didn't I which... didn't notice that at all. Like, I know that I know that this Irons is a deviant, and he was implied to be a deviant in the first one. I didn't see that being directed at Sherry. Yeah, that that's what I that's what I mean specifically. Like yeah. I know he was meant to be a creep. Um there's this is like a whole this would be a good topics thing, right? For mm-hmm. one of these episodes at some point. And it would be a terrifying one because <laughs> it, it is uh, it is really hard to find the line of like I and mean, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about violence. Uh-huh. Like it sucks for uh genre work to engage in tropes that are usually associated with that genre. Mm-hmm. and deploy them shittily you yeah. like that sucks yeah. and there's no there's no two ways about it right mm-hmm. like it's just it's lame that it happens like it sucks that capcom as a shortcut to like make something scary they will threaten violence against women mm-hmm. uh in it it sucks yeah at the same time it's it's just gonna be a thing where like you weight it differently 
when you're playing it and it, it is a result of immense privilege that I don't weight that very heavily yeah. that I can, I can watch an exploitive kind of genre thing and think like, yeah, like that's, you know, I can notice it. Like I didn't notice the stuff with Sherry, but I noticed the stuff with the mayor's daughter, mm-hmm. you know, and I can, I can notice that and just not have it clang on me. Like I just don't, when I'm playing the game, it doesn't take me out of it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a privilege thing. Uh, that that I have because it doesn't directly affect me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm aware of it. I think that's very important. But I also, you know, I say it a million times. Like I still think it's a thing where everybody draws their own line. And that line is not just a choice. It's also resultant of like your background. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Yeah. So I don't know. We're, we're doing, uh, you know, we, we have uh, Life is Strange coming up. And that's another thing that made me think about this a lot because that has drawn a lot of heat from uh and criticism from people who are not me who who have uh, a different background than i do mm-hmm. that when i play the game I'm like i just didn't get that from it yeah you know i just i just didn't see it and like it doesn't mean that their criticism is invalid or that it shouldn't be discussed or anything like that mm-hmm. it also doesn't mean that like my experience was also invalid right like right right and you know? it's like it, i would feel disingenuous making that criticism or um you know bringing it up outside of just saying oh this is a thing that's that, that like that, that that people say about it like i don't know that i am that, that i am necessarily equipped to make the argument that uh astrid rose you know in the, in the linked article here um you know makes like that's just not like it, it's it's not of my experience you know yeah. like and that that is why it is good to have a heterogeneous you know, body of criticism from a bunch of different folks. Yeah, there doesn't have to be a single story that arises that 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 arises in response to this one particular work. Right? I think that when that happens, you get something incredibly toxic and reductive, and results in a lot of things being canceled when they ought not be. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. So I'm glad that 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 perspective is out there, but I don't have very much to add to it. I know that's a little bit of a cop out. Mm -hmm. I'm not just trying to say, like, I don't want to talk to clouds on a sunny day. I just didn't have that experience for reasons I recognize are not like the intellectually correct reasons not to have that experience. I'm not saying it's right not to have that experience. I just didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. And then finishing up here with Tom, who says, hi, guys. I really enjoyed the RE2 remake episode. My memories of the original are hazy at best. I actually had the original on PlayStation when I was 12 years old. However, that time, I did not own a memory card. I think my naive outlook back then meant that I could not bring <laughs> bring myself to spend the price of one-third of a game on an item that was not more games. In hindsight, this robbed me of hundreds of hours, hundreds of, hours of gameplay, especially when it came to owning Final Fantasy VII and playing the opening parts over and over again. Yes, I was a fool. Uh, flash forward 20 odd years and I find myself back in love with games after a long hiatus and eagerly anticipating the release of the RE2 remake. I agree with all of your points on the game. It is an utter delight. Uh, for me, this is the formula Capcom could repeat for many years and I would utter uh, and I would happily lap it up. The meld of RE lore and nostalgia, suspense and arcade style fun in the form of rankings and unlockables uh, made this the game that I just kept coming back to. I cannot wait for the RE3 remake. Same. Yeah. I'm I'll down. Be rad. I, 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 am, I am ready for more of what Capcom can bring me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Capcom, stop, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks, everybody, for your replies. Uh, if you have anything to say about any of the games we have coming up, which we'll talk about in a moment, no. uh, hit us up at duckfeed.tv contact. 
The deadline is always the 15th. And if you want to ask us questions for the dispatch, uh, you can do so by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Yes. What do we have coming up, Cole? Well, um, April is a long month. Specifically, it has more games in it than we uh, normally otherwise do. Uh, So our first episode is going to be Life is Strange, as we alluded to. Um, Mm -hmm. I have not started my replay yet because of Milwaukee. You finished it though. And I'm, (laughs) if people don't know what that means, we went and did a live show. Yes. It's not just because of Milwaukee. (laughs) I learned about Milwaukee and it's all that I can, (laughs) it is everything now. The good land. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, after that, speaking of Milwaukee, we are going to be broadcasting the live panel that we did uh, at the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee uh, mm-hmm. about creative games, about finding the fun in Mario Paint and its friends. I thought it was fun. It was uh, yeah. it was a good time. Um, yep. And we'll have kind of show reminiscence and such, yes. as we usually do mm-hmm. as part of that. Um, after that, we're going to be talking about Batman Arkham City. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Super, you know, we've done Arkham Asylum. And a lot of time during that episode, we spent saying, like, man, I wish we were doing City. And uh, Doug Leaf uh, granted mm-hmm. our wish. Yes. So it's, uh, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Same. Oh. Um, and finally, uh, that month, we were doing Hitman 2016. Yes. That is our premium oh. episode for that month. Yeah. So uh, by premium episodes, uh, it's going to be like that last episode uh, that we did on this feed, where the first half of it comes out of the public feed. The rest of it is for patrons. Yes. Um, one of the things about staying to the end of this episode is you get to hear what we're doing for the month after that. Yeah. What's happening in, oh, oh, fuck man. Sorry. Mm-hmm. In hey. June. What's June, happening oh, June. in Shit. June? Yeah. June. Yeah. It is. Uh, we're ahead <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Um, so this is a theme month. We got a couple more theme months mm-hmm. that we're clearing out, even though we, we stopped doing them. We're still, uh, doing our, our patron request. Uh, and this is puzzle month. So welcome to puzzle month. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we've got a couple of different interpretations of this. Yes. Yeah, we we did that very specifically yeah. uh, on purpose. And it's going to be kind of an unusual month um, just in terms of how we handle the uh, the premium episode. Mm-hmm. So the uh, first episode of that month, we're going to be talking about the seventh guest and the 11th hour. Uh, those uh, CD-ROM sellers. Yeah. Like along with Myst. Um, the less successful uh, cousin to Myst that is a little bit, you know, for a long time seemed like an evolutionary dead end until mm-hmm. Leighton came about. And became, you know, hey, sometimes just a collection of old-timey puzzles is good. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yep. so we're going to get into them soup cans. Yep. Yeah. Um, after that, we're going to be talking about Into the Breach, mm-hmm. my favorite game of last year. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, you're going to be saying, that's a tactics game. It's pretty much chess puzzles. Yeah. It's it is chess a, puzzles with weird pieces. <laughs> it is a tactics game with perfect uh, with perfect information visibility. Yep. And, and uh, no percentages as far as, like, you know, so everything works. Mm-hmm. Um, it plays a lot more like a series of puzzles than a tactics game. No. Yeah. Um, especially with the enemy acting randomly, like you cannot um, surround an enemy and get it to do something different. Right. So it is is much closer to a puzzle game than a tactics game. But like I said, it's my favorite game that came out last year. Uh, it's phenomenal. I cannot wait for Cole to play it. Mm-hmm. And I've been wanting an excuse to talk about it on a podcast since I became obsessed with it last summer. <laughs> so uh, love that game. Looking forward to talking about it. Yeah. Um, the final episode we're doing on the main feed, which would be our premium episode, mm-hmm. um, is we're calling the golden age of Tetris. Yes. Um, we're going to be talking about Tetris, uh, the history of Tetris, all the doki doki facts, you know, and love, <laughs> but specifically talking about this kind of Tex- Tetris, not Texas Renaissance. <laughs> we need to stop that at all costs. But this, this uh, Tetris Renaissance 
that uh, we're experiencing right now. So we're going to talk about the Tetris effect and Tetris 99, mm-hmm. um, as well as some kind of variants throughout history and kind of the history and uh, of Tetris itself yep. and what makes Tetris this weird, perfect game that gaming will never quit. Yeah. Uh, so if you've ever been hungry to hear about new Tetris, guess what? That's that episode you're going to hear about. Yeah. Finally. Um, I, I've got stuff to say about Puyo Puyo Tetris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's going to be really fun. And you might be thinking, like, how is that going to work for the uh, the premium episode? Because we can't do the first part of Tetris being about the mechanics and then be like, OK, we're going to get into the narrative. But only patrons <laughs> get to hear it. And then we say, you know, some fireworks happen at the end, uh, you know, and that's all all patrons get. So since that uh, that month is slight games and because we want to include a different type of puzzle game in that, mm-hmm. we're doing a whole episode just for patrons. Yes. That month. And that is on the adventures of Lolo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this. Those uh, those are games that I loved playing as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful music, uh, fantastic character design. Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, like, well, like, what if Sokoban was not tedious? What if it was fun? Yeah. <laughs> like like Sega, Sega Master Kism, System Kids had mm-hmm. that, like, weird box-pushing game. Yeah. Nintendo Kids got Lolo. <laughs> yeah, no wonder they grew up to be presidents and emirs. <laughs> As opposed to Sega kids, you can turn out to be mail strippers yeah. and, and uh, dishwashers. Yeah. So uh, not the, there's anything wrong with the, things, Yeah, but, but both of which are noble professions that are, ne- that are necessary for our society. Mm-hmm. But they're not they're not moving or shaking right. other than boxes, which they move a lot. Well, I mean, I mean the, the, the male stripper specifically is moving and shaking. Yeah. He's specifically more shaking that, than that thing. Yes. Yeah. But, but like his wang <laughs> uh, is getting his, his, his Lolo. Yeah. Just, just more of me to love. Shaking the snow brother the um yeah so we're we're doing that as a full episode so if you want to get that uh that extra episode uh in june mm-hmm. uh, you can do so by being a patron no um if you uh if you don't patronize us or even if you do a great way to help the network is to write ratings and reviews mm-hmm. on uh, apple podcast or wherever fine podcasts are sold and uh, tell your friends yeah um yeah, I, I, think I, I think that's i think that's everything that's everything i've got to say looking forward to all yeah. the stuff coming up yeah and we will uh we'll see you next week with life is strange yeah Umbasa. Good night. Good night.